Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman. This, I think, is episode 198, getting close to the 200. Um, thanks, as always, to Tea Leaf Tea, La Petit Chocolat, and Yeasty Boys. This is a conversation I had a couple of months ago now uh, with Fifi Colston. I'm going to say that she is a freelance creative person. Um, I don't like the term creative on its own, so that's why I'm adding person there. Um, But she is, I'm going to leave some stuff out because she's done so much, but you'll get to hear a lot of it in this conversation. She is a uh, children's book author and illustrator. She is a freelance illustrator. She has worked on film sets. She's been an extra in movies. She's been a seamstress. She's been a set designer. She has worked in advertising. Um, She has been on TV. She was on what now back in the day. I first met her, we were on the Good Morning TV show at the same time and I didn't know her super well but I knew who she was and some of the stuff that she'd done and I'd always wanted to have a chat with her. I know that she has entered the world of wearable arts, wow, about 27 times in 25 years, something crazy like that and she's had a couple of placements and uh, you know things like that. Um, So my wife uh, Katie saw her speak at a uh, event recently and she said to me do you know Fifi Colston she's hilarious you need to get her on your podcast and I was like you know thanks for the memory jog I'm going to do this so I got in touch with her she came around we had a really fun and hilarious chat talking about all of the stuff she's done really great stories about working in advertising in the 80s and 90s um, but also I think it's a really great chat about creativity and um, you know what you have to do to get the job done and um yeah just and how how you go about it and what it is to live the the life i guess of a a freelance creative person who doesn't have holiday pay and a fixed job but you know has things they want to do and finds ways to do them and finds ways to invoice and sometimes the pay is really good and often it's really not good and it's not about the pay so love this conversation um really great to to properly meet fifi and and hear some of it she's just a great storyteller so i I hope you love this i really loved it this is me talking with fifi colston I've invited you round and I've really just met, I mean we were on Good Morning TV at the same time and I remember you from that, but we don't really know each other. No, this Not is true. Really. No, no, we But yeah. we know of each other and we have met. Yes. Um, but I'm interested, I, but I've always been interested in your, you know, I guess the first thing I sort of want to ask you is, I've asked this of a couple of other people, when you go through an airport and you have to fill in on the card what you do, mm. what do you write? No, that's <laughs> something different every time. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what I'm doing at the moment. Um, sometimes uh, I put down freelance creative because that seems easy. Other times I put down writer if mm, I'm just finished writing doing, something. Yeah. Other times I put down illustrator or artist and... Um, but I, I'm always, you know, I'm always on a conundrum because I never know mm. exactly what to call myself because I do all these different things. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah and, and that I think is really the essence of why I was interested to talk to you. Like, how has that happened, and how do you jump between those things or or integrate them? What you do. So should we should we go back and start at the start? You were born in England, but when did you move out here? We came out in 1968 on mm. the Achille Lauro ship, the Italian ship, which is a is a bit famous for having had a terrorist incident on it and then uh, them burning and scut- being scuttled. 
some a few years later. But anyway, we arrived um, to start a new life, and I was eight years old. Mm. Yeah, mm. so we arrived into Wellington Harbour to the overseas terminal, and it was one of those stunning days in Wellington Harbour, smooth as glass, and I thought, I've come to paradise, except it was shut because it was Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> And you say we, it's you and what, mum and dad? Uh, my parents and my two sisters, so I was the youngest. Yeah, right. Yeah, so. And uh, and you've been here ever since, pretty much? Pretty much. Uh, Wellington, lived in Christchurch for quite a long time, back to Wellington, and we had a um, we took the kids and lived in Bristol for a couple of years as well. Yeah. So. yeah. But mostly. Most, I'm in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So what... Um, Memories, I mean, you've been back, but what memories sort of to eight did you have and hold of, of England before you came out here? Well, well, we were in the Air Force, so we didn't stay in one place, and we lived in Africa for a couple of years too. So we were in Ghana, West Africa, and I think out of my pre-New Zealand memories, that's probably one of the strongest ones because it was really uh, an amazing time. Mm. It was... Uh, I mean, there were military coups and things going on like that around us. Mm. As children, we weren't aware. But mm. um, my sister, my middle sister and I did a lot of playing and adventuring. And and we went to school, of course, in the Air Force Base. But my older sister lived in Africa, uh, sorry, in, in England at a boarding school because mm. she had to because there was no high school for her. But um, th- those were, you know, I've met quite a few creative people in Wellington who have all had a time in Africa in their childhood. It's quite bizarre when mm. you... I, I don't know what it is. It gives you a different flavour of life somehow. Mm. But, yeah, but before that, we were um, in, in, you know, parts of England and uh, in Scotland with my father's family just before we came to New Zealand as well. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was a while before I felt like I could call myself a Kiwi and it wasn't mm. probably until actually that we went back with the kids to live for a couple of years and I thought it's like Mars here is <laughs> like, mm. I, I don't identify with being a POM at all. It's probably a good time to, to do that too mm. but mm. now to not identify I mean exactly. <laughs> yes yeah. I know I'm so you, glad. You got your farewell done yeah. at a good time. Yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of renewing those British passports, yeah, do we need to? <laughs> How useful are they going to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what's going on for you as a kid in Wellington? So it's closed the day you turn up, yeah. and then when it, when it opens, <laughs> what, do, what do you, you know, you say it, it felt like paradise turning up, but yeah. did that feeling stay? Um, well, it, it did until we... And, I went to school but I've never I was never very keen on school anyway mm. but um, we lived for for a few weeks up the Kapiti Coast with the one family we knew in New Zealand and the whole five of us and then we found a flat in Berenpoor and so we lived there and I went to Berenpoor school which I really enjoyed because it was very multicultural so everybody was from somewhere not necessarily from here so I didn't stand out as being odd Mm. Um, and nobody really cared that I had this weird pommy accent and, you know, there was a variety of cultures, which was great. And then then we moved to Johnsonville and that was quite a different story. <laughs> and I went to um, what's now West Park School, Johnsonville West School, where um, 
I got bullied mercilessly, that's the word, isn't it, yeah. um, for being a pom. It was horrible. And, um, uh, yeah, and I couldn't wait to leave there. Then I went off to Rara Intermediate, and I loved that. That was just my favourite school. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and when do you you know what do, what do you like as a child and a teenager when you sit when you settle into a Wellington particularly I guess like are you a sports person or a bookworm no, or are you, you know I'm a sports free zone right um, people <laughs> keep going go the ABs and I don't know what they're talking about um, but <laughs> 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 start of the alphabet yeah yeah, yeah want, that's they want, right they want to prompt. go the abc's <laughs> read <Yeah. laughs> write and um no drawing was my go-to thing mm-hmm. drawing and reading and writing so reading i could you know i think because we didn't have a tv when we were kids for mm. a long time and it wasn't until we got to new zealand that we got a telly and um really the the Reading was just huge for us, and I always found uh, great solace in drawing. So I, I drew and I made things. I drew and I made things, and I read and I wrote terrible poetry that I thought was great, and like you know most kids do. And um, and that was what I did. I just I was always picking up scraps of stuff and putting them together with PVA glue and what have you. I just loved it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so I was never bored. I was, uh, and if I didn't have any friends, uh, I had I had my friends and my artwork and my books anyway. So, I mean, what's intriguing to me about that is that's that's not a unique story. But mm. the unique story is that what's really changed for you beyond that. You're still doing that. Yes, yes. That's what's amazing. Yeah. Like, I could ask anyone, what did you do as a kid? And people will say, well, I, you know, I made my own comic books and I yeah. read a lot and I made stories up and rah, rah, rah. But you're still basically doing that. So mm. um, how does that, I want to know how that kind of happens and, and how on whatever level, I know it's sporadic for anyone doing this stuff, but how you monetize that, like how you first mm. get to put it to to paid use mm. well the first my first instance of it really was at school when I um, was at high school I went to Wellington Girls College I didn't do art at school because uh, anybody who knows me knows this is a long old story <laughs> and a grievance I will never give up but I, I wasn't allowed to do art because uh, art back then different story now was not supported and it was it was, it was days of streaming you were streamed mm. into staff and mm. they streamed me on the basis of my sister's academic results which was they were a lot more academic than I was <laughs> so I got to do French and Latin um, so but I, I determined to um, put art in all my work wherever I could and so I had this special set of biros I had a blue black green and red and I would do fake tattoos for friends and charge them for it <laughs> so I'd do these like on their arms you know or um, on their school books on their school bags and and it was always you know things like hearts with with the scrolly bits and a mo you know which is mm. to l- love I learned something in Latin and uh, and some boy's name and because everybody was always falling in and out of love or there was a boy of the moment you know um, that that the name changed. So there was an endless supply of you know, 
You'd re- repeat, repeat customers. Yeah, 50 cents for a large tattoo, 25 cents for a small tattoo. And it, and it, and it kept me in cafeteria money, really, you know, pie money and things, which was great. Um, but so I, I, I was desperate to leave school as soon as I could. And back then you could leave school in the sixth form. So it was like, how do I get out of school? I hate it. I hated school from the day I started school at age five pretty much so um and I wanted to live my real life and it wasn't my real life at school and why what yeah well why did you hate school just the restrictions of like yeah curriculum curriculum restrictions there was nothing meaningful for Mm. me there Mm. I hated sports I was terrible at sports uh and I wasn't allowed to do art uh so I just decorated all my French and Latin books really well uh I was terrible at maths all of those things and I just like it, it felt like I felt like a fraud being there because there was all these, you know, yeah, I don't know. School doesn't suit everybody. But, no, no, totally. But actually, you know, they, I made a good bunch of friends out of that school, which I still see now. So um, anyway, but moving on from there, mm. I found out about design school, Wellington Polytech, and via a friend who was doing an entrance portfolio when I was hanging around the art room and seeing if I could go and, you know... I used to hang around the edges of the art room and poke my nose in and, and just wistfully smell the mm. printing ink and things. And and anyway, Sylvia was doing this, this portfolio and I found out what it was and I applied to get my own entrance port... You had to... In those days, you had to... They get, sent you out an entrance exam sort of thing. It was a list of 12 things you had to do. You know, draw a sneaker and... Mm do a logo and that kind of thing and I applied in my own time um, so I did you know I just I just got to it thought this is my ticket out of here and uh, and and I got in from the sixth form so and they had this thing you know in the sixth form back in the so this is like the the mid 70s right mm, mid mm. to late 70s and and in the sixth form you'd have this thing where people were going oh they got that their acceptance into secretarial school uh, or journalism school or um, nursing mm. or teaching because you could do all these things from the sixth form. You didn't have to do simple. And uh, and I got mine into d- design school and there was only two of us that year that got into design school, my friend Sylvia and me. Mm. And, um, and it was great. I remember getting that letter and going, yay, this is... This is, I can leave. I can leave golden with a plan. Ticket. Yeah. Golden and ticket, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a golden ticket. And then I got I got into design school and I found my tribe. You know, I became a bit of a weekend punk and all of that. Mm, mm. <laughs> that sort of thing. It was just, you know, those were the days when the tutors and the students could smoke in the classrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it was real old school. Mm. It was... It was great. I loved it. Really, um, I mean, this is this is before my time living here, and I'm just in, in, where we're at in your timeline. I'm just coming into the world, in fact. But <laughs> but um, late late <laughs> late seventies in Wellington, early eighties. I know from talking to lots of people that have lived here and been in associated fields. Really interesting bunch of mm. creative people coming up. Mm. Really mm. interesting. You know, lots of. And and obviously lots of people that like I guess someone like in the in the early eighties someone like Fran Walsh is a musician yeah. and now with the wall sockets yeah so <laughs> yeah. you were seeing things like that and oh, I used to hang out with yeah with some of them and yeah it was it was 
it was interesting times. It was it was vibrant. It was seedy. Mm. Um, but I you well, you're all just um, yeah. kids. Yeah. Kids becoming adults, right? We so you're just doing what, whatever I ended yeah. up doing when when I was that age. We yeah. all we all go through it. But I'm just thinking, there's, you know, I mentioned Fran, and there's people like Steve Braunius. There's all these mm. people that go on to do uh, whether it's respectable or not. Yeah, it's they become known for their work, yeah. and it's still creative. But they they move on from being snotty punks or whatever. Yeah. As people hopefully do. Well, some didn't. Yeah. Some and, and some died yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know that's kind of life, isn't it? Pe- people do. And um, but yeah, it was it was an it was an exciting time and and uh, and also Wellington was undergoing. I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time in Wellington after that because when I finished design school, right, I went to Christchurch, yeah, yeah. okay. which was a whole different. Uh, ball game but um, so a lot of my um, classmates went off and they went into advertising agencies because that's what we were being training for we mm. were training to be commercial artists so either designers graphic designers um, art mm. directors and, and ad agencies or as I ended up being a freelance illustrator that's what I ended up doing amongst many other things which we'll talk about but mm. Um, so it was sort of, um, and Wellington in that in the early eighties, everything was being knocked down. Amazing old buildings going, you know, bulldozed down to make way for some really actually crappy building in the CBD. That's, that's a, you know, earthquake problem. Um, so I kind of left when they when it was all getting trashed in a way, mm. um, which. Didn't worry me. I was onto a whole new chapter of my life, anyway. Mm, but mm. but there were some great people came out of that era, and I've and over the years, as you do, because you go off and do different things, and then you come back and you you meet up with these people. Mm. And go, oh oh wow! And I actually organised a friend and I organised uh, but early last year a reunion, fortieth reunion of our class that started in 1978 at design mm. school mm. and because uh, back in back in those days 36 people got accepted that was it split between two classes and uh and we got i think we got 22 people together and it was great it was mm. and everybody was doing different things but all working somehow in the creative arts amazing yeah, yeah. some were fine artists you yeah. know yeah landscape artists, all sorts of things. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so you go to Christchurch. Yeah. To I followed my true love. Yeah. because uh, I met my husband while I was at design school. He wasn't doing design mm. and uh, he got this job down in Christchurch and I spent my my final year at design school uh, having ticked off the got got the boyfriend, got the long term <laughs> relationship. <laughs> like look back and I was so young. Uh, and I uh, finished my design school year, went down to Christchurch because I didn't have another plan, uh, and uh, and I was following my heart and began life there in a little flat in Cashel Street, which mm-hmm. survived the, the um, earthquake, amazingly. But, um, yeah, and I thought I'd hit hit the advertising scene in Christchurch mm. be like, yeah, I'm going to get a job as a junior art director because I passed with A's. I did really work really well in this. And and I and I found that Christchurch was really almost about 15 years, 20 years behind anywhere else. And it was still quite mad men territory, really. Mm. It was um, girls 
weren't art directors down there. And mm, they the no, it was very much a boys' game. Yeah. And I and I had that usual thing of you know being a graduate and you got all this all this creativity and no experience, no job experience, and so I did all sorts of things. I I pleaded with Whitcalls to give me a job. Um, I ended up demonstrating airbrushes in the art department, <laughs> which was hilarious. Uh, uh, on the shop floor, I taught. I went around everybody with my portfolio. I talked to everybody. I took my courage in my hands, and and I refused to leave places until they gave me work. And 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 I think faced with this small, determined uh, little blonde thing. Um, sort of semi-punked up or new wave looking with little spiky stilettos and <laughs> quite a short skirt, I have to say. Um, they, they either took pity on me or, I don't know, some of them might have fancied me or something, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I started building up work bit by bit, bit by painfully slow bit. And uh, and I think the, the big thing was I... I got turned down, I, at one stage I went, this is just hopeless, I'm not getting any work, I, I can't get a job, so I went and applied for the doll, but uh, I got turned down because I was living with my boyfriend, and um, he was supposed to support me, apparently, mm. so, even though it was quite a new relationship, so, uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't even go on the doll, it was just, it was dire, and, um, and it just, I, I worked for a printer, um, who, I have to say, made quite a few advances towards me in the darkroom. That was pretty uncomfortable. I think me too, hashtag me too, yeah. Um, and I just, but but you just carried on and you just battered that stuff off and thought, dirty old man. And, uh, and then um, I... I, I got to the stage where I had got this accountant, right, and he was a real old Hereford Street accountant. If, you, if anybody in Christchurch knows, understands that Hereford Street kind of farmer accountant sort. And he looked like Rumpole of the Bailey. And I don't know how I got him. I think he had been recommended by a friend of my uh, in-laws or something. And uh, and he's sort of, you know, he's... He came to the end of my first year and said, oh, well, I think, it's, I think it's probably a good idea that uh, you haven't made any money at all, or that you uh, probably keep this as a bit of a hobby. Your art is a bit of a hobby, a bit of pin money. And, uh, and perhaps you go and try and find another, a real job. And I came away from there feeling like crying, and then I got angry, as I usually do, and, uh, and I thought, bugger him. And... Uh, and I, I applied for a job at the Polytech to do some design, which I'm, I'm a terrible graphic designer, by the way. So, uh, but I could have gone that way, doing awful brochure design. For uh, it, not that the brochures were awful, I would have done a terrible, <laughs> yeah. awful job. Of them. And uh, and then I um, I got the job, but they wanted me full time. And then uh, um, oh my. I'm stumbling here. Uh, and then I didn't want it full-time because I'd just illustrated my first children's book. I'd just got my first children's book to illustrate. And I thought, if I do a job full-time, there's all these other things I can't do. I'll mm. never get to be a children's book illustrator. And this really intrigues me. And also, I was doing some work for What Now as well. And it was in the days of... Jim. 
well, you're probably too young, Simon, but, but in the days of TV graphics, mm. what you used to do was you drew a picture on a piece of paper, on a piece of illustration board, you'd do something, and hold it in front of the camera. That was a TV graphic. Mm. And uh, so I did quite a lot of stuff for What Now in terms of that, little bits between segments. And so I was doing that and enjoying that. So it was illustrative work. Well, I was probably watching that. You probably were. Yeah. Yeah. So back in what the... now was big in, well, lots of New Zealanders' lives then. It, but it was, was certainly huge in my life. Yeah. It was, it was a really big thing. So uh, anyway, the long story cut short, I turned down the graphic design job. And I, it, I had to really think about that because the accountant had said, get a real job. And this was a real job. And, uh, and when I turned it down, the next day, uh, the um, What Now called and said, you interested in uh, doing a magazine, art directing a magazine for us? And I was like, I've never been an art director before. This is what I trained for, but in a different way. And this is a magazine. I don't know how to do this. I can't even lay out a magazine. So I said, yes. <laughs> Figuring you can learn anything mm. on the job, and uh, and and that was regular money, and I worked with writers. I worked with a writer called Sally Blundell, who's a journalist, and mm. uh, she's still in Christchurch, and that was that that ended up being regular money for two years, which allowed me to be able to then illustrate mm. your children's book, which never make any money. And no, but let's go back to when you said you got your first children's book out as yeah. an illustrator. What how did that come about? Were you just contacted as a freelance illustrator or were you connected to the book in uh, terms of knowing the author already or what? Well, uh, it was because the author got in touch with me. Yeah. Now, this is not an open invitation for any author to get in touch with yeah. an illustrator. This yeah. is not how it happens. <laughs> there are very good reasons for that. Uh, but anyway, the author, Anthony Holcroft, was looking for an illustrator. He actually had a contract for the book. And, uh, and somebody had recommended me because they'd seen my work. I can't remember who recommended me, but he got in touch. And we, so we did our first book together. We did the first two books together. Mm. It was my first two books, not his first two yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's how that worked. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but normally a publisher will contact the illustrator and mm. find, find the right illustrator. And match the them book. up. Yeah, match yeah. them up, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you get like, re some, quite often you get, regular working relationships materialise yes, out of that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, my my main publisher is Scholastic and yeah. I've done work with them for, I don't know, 30-odd years or something now. Mm. So one way or another, I'm about to start another book with them too. Shortly, next week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in the, in the book projects that you've done, like the working with someone else's words. Mm. Uh, what are the kind of um, stumbling blocks of that? Like, are you, do you, is this, is this silly me asking this, but like, are there projects where you're like, I actually can't deliver on this? Like, I don't get, mm. you know, or do you get feedback that's like, this is cool, but it doesn't really work? Um, I, yeah, I think, I think publishers are pretty good at matching up the illustrator mm. with the writer. And I have a rule of, if uh, I'm presented with a manuscript that doesn't immediately do anything for me, I'm mm. not going to illustrate it. So So you've turned stuff down. I have. Yeah. And and it's most, I have to say, it's mostly from new writers. Seasoned mm -hmm. writers know what they're doing and they yeah. leave the... 
they leave the illustrator lots of room. Yeah. Uh, and that old show don't tell. You know, yeah. a good writer will will show through the words, and then the illustrator can tell the other stuff through the the pictures. As and well. I guess it's like, you know, when I got into reading children's books to my son, mm. so rediscovering a lot of my favourites, but obviously getting new books. And I'm sure this is true for parents in general. That's when you realise, gosh, there's some amazing mm. kids' books, and gosh, there's some quite shit ones, yeah. like that actually still get over the line. And uh-huh. and it's that thing of like the the that never generally poorly illustrated or over illustrated, they're overwritten. Mm. You know, or, yeah. the, or the writing just fails on some level because there is a a magic about mm. getting the writing right for a kids' book. There is, and people don't understand that. And I, look, I tell you what, I have written many, many children's picture books, and they're all shite. They're <laughs> terrible, really terrible. And, and you know, they kind of like want to tell the kids how to feel and all that sort mm. of stuff. They're not engaging. I've had so many picture book projections, but I have a lot of, I've illustrated a lot of picture books. So I'm an awe of picture book writers. Mm. Uh, having said that, I have got two over the line with Pukeka pictures. So that's a whole other thing. But um, it's much easier to write a novel, I reckon. And I've, I've had three, three novels published. I've got another one that I've written uh, recently, so I'm just waiting to hear, hear from uh, a publisher that I've submitted that to. Uh, if she's listening, <laughs> please, please. Um, and, and you, and you, you yeah. reckon you can honestly say you f- you've found that easier, like more yeah. straightforward. I have. It's so much harder to write a th- to pair back, pair back, write a few good words that tell a story in such a short space. Yeah. Uh, that and and still the the art of a really great picture book is that you want to read it again yes. and again and yeah again. i think i think you know like we sometimes say like a novel can be like a, an album or a movie and i think like a really great kids picture book is like a really great song and mm. that you want to hear it again and also yeah. you know the pictures and the words work with each other in a way yeah. that the music and the lyrics do. Yeah. So so the odd slightly average line can pop because of the image yeah. and vice and perhaps vice versa. Yeah. You know, like there is this conversation that's that's where the magic happens, I think. I, I absolutely agree. And and um, you know you know those picture books, because, you know, when you're reading to a kid, those books that even though you know how it ends, every time you read that last bit or look at that last picture, it never fails to delight you hmm. and make you chuckle or have a, a feeling, an emotion that... And it happens every time. And a, and a good picture book will do that. And, yeah, you're right, there's some rubbish stuff out there which should have been rejected, like... Well, there my, is... Like my brilliant <laughs> my brilliant manuscripts, too. <laughs> but, you know, there is an, an all fields of life and certainly in all creative you know like there's tons of garbage films and there's tons of bad music and bad novels Mm. but you know it's one person's bad as another I mean you know I don't really like some of the really hit successful children's books Mm. and I and I still struggle to see 
what was so special about Harry Potter beyond the fact that it was a world that was created and the timing of it. I think the writing's shit. <laughs> I do. And I, you know, and I know I'm in a pretty small minority and the, and the numbers instantly drown out my argument and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But then there are other things that I'm, I read and I just go, this is, this is really sweet and this is good mm. and... And so some of the, and then there are some giant Harry Potter level success stories, and you you instantly are on board with them too. Mm. You know, it's not mm. about it's not about trying to pick on the giant and go, well, that's not as good as everyone says. Yeah. I can mean, I can I tell you a, a secret about yeah. Harry Potter? I haven't read one Harry Potter. Well, I've only, I, <laughs> well, I've only, I'm here. I am saying this, and I've only read one. I read the I read the first one, and I stopped. Yeah. Because I. I was probably well. They are for all ages, but mm. but they came when they hit the market. I was slightly too old to, mm. in terms of in my reading, to really go back and give a shit about that stuff. So yeah. I was blissfully kind of unaware. And then when the movies came out, and I hadn't really seen those either. But when the movies came out, I suddenly thought, you know, maybe I'll give this a go. And mm. and so I bought the first book and read it, and I it made me go back and read you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the right. Twits and all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I read all of that again as an adult without a child and just went, this is brilliant. Yeah. Like, okay, it's pro- some of it's problematic. It's, you know, mm. 60s worldview. Yes. So there is definitely some, yeah. you know, sexism and racism, but reading it and understanding when it was written, mm. I didn't have a problem with it. I understood yeah. its context for its married to its time. But I never wanted to read another Harry Potter I've started reading the first one to Oscar because he's got really into the movies mm. and I've watched some of the films with him and I'm definitely enjoying it more as a parent mm. reading it to a mm. child but I still think it's clunky writing. I yeah. don't think it's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it'll be interesting and he's he's drifted off from it at the moment so I don't know if we'll make it through the series or not but, yeah. you know, I know loads of people who have enjoyed reading it to their kids and enjoyed watching their kids, you know, mm. take over and read well, it back to them. That's great. Our kids our kids were around when it just first came out. Mm. I mean they're both they're twenty eight and thirty yeah. one now kind of thing. So and they they um I didn't know anything about Harry Potter or JK Rowling or and, and our daughter brought it home you know, she, a friend lent it to her and went, Oh, this is a great book and it got to the stage with them that we ended up having to buy two of every book, mm, everyone mm. that came out because they wouldn't share with each other. They yeah. both wanted to. And it was the first time that I'd seen my, I have to say, my first time I'd seen my son, who only ever read um, non-fiction manuals mm. and, you know, sciencey things, uh, be absolutely absorbed in a book yeah. and then look up one day and go, oh, I didn't even know where I was. Mm. I, I, I was just writing this book and I thought well that's the, that's yeah. the magic uh, totally so I can't get I've tried reading Harry Potter and I haven't got past the first three yeah, so, chapters so I yeah, just I think give you, up I've watched the movies <laughs> you can't you can't argue no. against a phenomenon but you can mm. you can decide to not join the party you know that's exactly. sort of that's exactly. where I'm at with it I'm re- yeah. the whole the whole story around how it it basically taught a generation mm. to engage with reading yeah. is amazing. I it mean, is. that's incredible. Yeah. And I guess her story, too, of, you know, being what everyone is mm. when they start a struggling writer mm. is is an amazing mm. sort of romantic story. It's, it's a phenomenon, mm. which I think every writer... <laughs> 
uh, scribes too, and um, and really uh, would love for that to happen for ourselves. If you notice, JK's looking just fat, more and more fabulous as time mm. gets on, but she's a very wealthy woman, so I suspect yeah. there's quite a bit of work goes on. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I'd have a neck lift if I could well, it. <laughs> yeah, she can do what she likes. That's exactly. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so where are we in your life? We're back, you're doing the What Now magazine, and you've got yeah. two kids' books that you've illustrated. Yeah. And, and so, you're in Christchurch, yeah. and it's the early to mid-'80s. It is, and uh, so then the What Now magazine, uh, they decided to pull it. It was TVNZ Enterprises, who had a whole load of things going that all lost money, and the magazine was one of those mm. things. Uh, so it was like, oh, no, bugger, the, my, my, my regular gig mm. is going. But I used to put a little arts and crafts section in the magazine. So Sally wrote a whole lot of the articles. You know, she wrote all the major stuff. Mm. And then uh, I would put the, lots of visual stuff in there. And and so this little arts and crafts spot. So that was always in there. And then the producer rang up, and Keith Tyler-Smith, and said, uh, oh, so we're, we're canning the magazine, unfortunately. And he said, but, he said... Would you like to come onto the show and do some presenting? Do an arts and we're looking at extending the arts and crafts spot because we had Eddie Sunderland who mm. unfortunately passed away at age forty-two, I think he was. Um, but he, Eddie was great. He did lots of things like uh, water rockets and um, and things where you know you could super glue a little banner onto the back of a fly and let it. <laughs> Like, stuff you'd never be allowed to do now. But um, but it was all to deem sort of Boise sort mm, of activities. Mm. So they wanted, well, you know, he said, we need somebody to come and do some more girly sort of stuff, decorative arts. Well, I didn't take offence at that. It's like, yeah, sure, I'm a gal. <coughs> Especially when he said it was a paying job. So um, <laughs> <laughs> my ears always prick up at the sound of income. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I can earn three dollars from that. Fantastic! I'll do that. I'm in. And uh, so, anyway, the thing was, I'd had no presenting training whatsoever. I'd never. Um, the last time I'd been in front of a big audience was when I failed miserably at the Marjorie Nichols speech contest at school. And so I was really worried about that. And I, you know, told them that. And he said, "Well, we'll do it this way. Uh, you can try it." Um, and we'll film it, it's all pre-recorded, and see how you go, and if you like it and we like it, you know, all good. And he said, and if it doesn't quite work out to camera, then we'll get you to make the arts and crafts and we'll get somebody else to present mm. it. Mm. I was thinking, nobody's going to present my arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, we did the first one. I, I was painfully slow. It took 10 minutes. Um, the, the crew were just about asleep by the time I'd finished and I didn't smile once. And then we tried it again, cut down to three minutes. <laughs> and that's where I learnt. And here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> <laughs> take three along in various mm. stages and that led into a regular spot for I don't know six or seven years or something um, I uh, I had two babies in that time as well so I was variously on the show pregnant and and then bringing the baby onto the show for everybody mm. to see and uh, famously balancing a cup of water on my bump with my now 28 year old son Rory um, <laughs> You know, and uh, playing party tricks with your bump, that's yeah. always good. Yeah. Um, 
And and that was great. It was in the days of uh, Simon Barnett. Yeah. And Kath McPherson. Uh, and we had Frank Flash and, you know, Alistair yeah. Kincaid doing all of those things. And No, I remember and, all yeah, that really well. It, yeah. was, it was fun. And I, you know, used to go out early in the morning, sneak out of the house really early and... You know, and there's um, nothing like going and sitting in a makeup chair and having your hair and makeup done, and then being on telly and feeling a bit famous for a morning. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it was good. And then, apart from dealing with the realities of motherhood, mm. what what else are you managing to fit in around that time? So you're doing still, some still a lot of commercial yeah. illustrations. Yeah. So I uh, I was uh, one of uh, Christchurch's or New Zealand's premier airbrush artists. <laughs> The days before Photoshop, mm. I still have my airbrush. I have several and, and a compressor. Uh, but um, so I did a lot of work for advertising. I did cutaway illustrations of jet engine units and motorcycle helmets and uh, a lot of fruit illustration for yogurt, bottles, bottles and, you know, all the pictures of, you know, illustration of chocolate for Cadbury's and all of that stuff. It was all good money. Mm. It was, mm. um, you know, I, I charged good money back then. Uh, like, I was I was charging 80 to $100 an hour for that work. I'd be lucky if I get $5 an hour for anything I do now. <laughs> but, but you know, um, it, it, was, it was really the heyday of, mm. of mm. advertising, I reckon, and where illustrators could earn a decent buck, mm. you know. So it paid, helped pay the mortgage. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and that was important. So. Well, we've caught up now. The world's caught up because it's it's connected now. But New Zealand was always running that game of you know being kind of twenty years behind. Mm. Like what I was thinking when you said you you know docked here in the in the late sixties and grew up in Wellington in the seventies. I was thinking there would have been like being in England or America in the fifties in a way. And in the eighties yeah. in New Zealand. On some level, it kind of felt a bit like the 60s so in, in America, I reckon, you know, like, so things like advertising really taking off yeah. and big dollars being thrown at it. Yeah. Oh, look, I tell you what, the 80s in advertising in New Zealand, the parties, the um, the the lunches, they mm. were outrageous, particularly Wellington and Auckland, not so much in Christchurch, but certainly Friday night drinks in Christchurch, it's, you know, Saatchi's and things, was mm. fabulous, and... Um, did yeah. you know? Did you know people like Len Potts? Oh yes, mm. yes. And uh, my husband also worked in advertising. He actually worked at Saatchi's, mm -hmm. and um, so it was very, it was quite incestuous, really. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a creative. He was working in a, as a account director. Mm. Um, but it was all, yeah. It was all a. Um, it was all quite a fictional life, really. Mm. really. Mm. But it was it was fun. And, uh, and you know, and, and they were the glory days, really. And mm. we were young and full of energy and, uh, and I say that now because I'm feeling very tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the hustle. I put, <laughs> put a picture up on my Facebook page the other day, the, the 1975, the hustle, mm, do the mm. hustle. And I feel like that's that's an artist's life. It's constantly hustling, and I, I'm I'm just getting tired of hustling. But mm. you know, back back then, um, yeah, it was great. So Christchurch was starting to leap forward a bit in that era, and we had some good years down in Christchurch. Um, yeah, raised, got married down there, raised a family. Yeah, mm. and until I got bored with it. 
was me. It was me. Well, I, I came back to Wellington for a for a, um, a hui, a hui, which was a children's book writers and illustrators get together, hosted mostly by Joy Cowley. Mm. And um, I hadn't been back to Wellington for a while because all my family had moved out, and it, it had suddenly reinvigorated, and it was really vibrant. Having had that early eighties, just, just and through the 80s, I don't know quite what happened in Wellington because I wasn't really there, but but came back to Wellington in the 90s on a visit and went, oh, this is cool. I went to the Deluxe Cafe and, you know, mm. and I uh, had a coffee and went, coffee's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then um, engineered getting back here, really. It's Wellington. I just got... I think we had reached that stage in Christchurch where we were living a very um, a very middle class life, and uh, and there's something about Christchurch which has always unsettled me. It's the there's this stuff on the surface which is beautiful, and then there's this see this is kind of like a it's the swamp underneath. It feels like Stephen King territory down there sometimes. Mm. And there's um a, there's a shitload of snobbery down there. I, yeah. I may just be really annoying anybody from Christchurch a little bit. No, no, I, I go to Christchurch and I just think, so what? You got a nice fucking garden? Who yeah. You know, like who cares? Yeah. Like who gives a shit? Yeah. Like good like, on good on you, but yeah. it doesn't make you better than me. I fucking hate yeah. gardening. Yeah. It doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a shit gardener. And when when we left, you know, everybody was building these great big high walls with security keypads and going, who cares? Yeah. No one wants to go in. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, and uh, and and in the earthquake, all of those walls fell down, and for a while it felt like because we've still got friends and family mm, down there, right? Mm. That it, it it was actually marvelous, and and now everybody's put those walls back up. They've got bigger new fuck off yeah. architecture, yeah. and then they put the walls back up and go. What are you hiding from? Mm. And I love Wellington for that you. Physically, it's very impossible to put a wall around anything in Wellington because mm. if you do, somebody's just looking down on top of you anyway. <laughs> so just the geography. So I like that that you can say hello to your neighbour walking up and mm. down the path and and um, and see what's going on. I mean, you know, I often think about those walls. Like if you die behind that, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't let anybody in. You deserve what you get. I mean, that's terrible, isn't it? But that's how so. I feel. So you must arrive back in Wellington around the time I moved to Wellington. So I moved here in 95. Yeah, we came in 96. Yeah. yeah. So I've been yeah. here since then. Yeah. yeah. So I came down for university and never left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember that when you said, like, coffee was good, I remember going to Roaster's Cafe, which is long gone. It's like a cycle shop or something. Oh, but, right. But Newtown? That, no, 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 right in the city. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah and Victoria Street. And... Um, I, you know, we had a Saturday afternoon regular thing was to go there and buy several coffees and watch the musicians in the corner who turned into the group twin set who play everywhere yeah. and, and have done forever. But that that was, I think, some of their earliest gigs and just go and watch, you know, just be sort of late teenagers drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes inside <laughs> when you still could and, yeah. and watching jazz felt pretty cool. And yeah. so, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, apart from a couple of visits when I was a kid, that was my, like, first real instant connection with Wellington. But it, it felt like a yeah pretty vibrant city. It felt, it felt good because my last experience of living in Wellington had been... 
you know, uh, in that kind of late 70s, you know, 1980 was my last year here, and, and you know, cruising around the streets of Wellington at four in the morning, feeling quite safe, to be honest, and mm. uh, and it, and I, I, there's something about the, you can walk around Wellington. I, I mm. like that it's a very walkable city. It's got a centre and a heart, and we came back, and, and um, yeah, I, None of us miss Christchurch. Our kids don't miss Christchurch. Mm. They they sometimes conjecture, what would we have been like if we'd stayed in Christchurch? And mm. my daughter goes, I might have been really high maintenance, <laughs> and uh, and and my brother would have been a boy racer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and neither of them are either of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that like yeah. It's funny when you think about, you know, those those things of... I obviously applied to a couple more places beyond um, Wellington and I don't know that Wellington was... I think it was my second or third mm. choice of mm. a place to go and I can't imagine not living here. I mean, yeah. I've lived here now longer than I lived in Hawke's Bay where I grew up, so yeah. I, I don't know if I'm a Wellingtonian or not. I don't really sort of... Yeah. worry too much about the label but this certainly feels like home yeah and i could have what, what would have happened if i lived in auckland oh you you'd know? be a total wanker yeah yeah <laughs> well the jury's out on whether i am or not still anyway but um but you're probably right that's it and i think about that because that was my first choice and i've never felt when i, I want to go to auckland i like visiting it i know lots of people there mm. and i have my brother lives there but I never for a second think, oh, I should have moved here. No. You know, I don't think I've missed anything. No. But you do think about that stuff now and then. You do. We, we had a period, where, you know, a time where we had the opportunity through advertising to live and to move and live, you know, move to Auckland, live there. And um, I, I basically put the scuppers on that one because I could see mm. that, that what would happen was that... Um, my other half would spend long hours in the CBD and mm. advertising, uh, with a, and I'd be stuck somewhere in the burbs with two kids trying to run a studio from home, and uh, and eventually he'd shag somebody on the boardroom table and it'd be all over. So <laughs> I went, no, we're not going to do that yeah. uh, for our for our family relationship. We're not going to do that. We're not going to live in Auckland, and also the you know housing's always cost yeah. so much more yeah. up there and um, and we don't regret not living there at all no. i mean i've got our daughters there my sister's there we've got friends like yeah, you yeah. up there we can go visit but we don't have to live there thank yeah. god so, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so is wellington for life now well i think so except that i spent six we spent six months in dunedin recently because yeah. i was a children's writer in residence uh it's got a re much longer title than that yes um which i always get confused with but uh, at Tataga University, College of Education, Creative New Zealand. I think I've got all of those bits in there now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Dunedin was fantastic. Yeah, I really don't I know Dunedin. Really, and I, oh. I need to get there. Oh, I think you do. Because I want to go there and talk to a bunch of people for yeah. a podcast anyway. But, um, you know, it's, I'm almost embarrassed to say I went to Dunedin, drove through it once as a kid, and then I spent a week there when I was 13, and yeah. I haven't been back. Yeah, eyes the same. You know, so I don't yeah. know it. Yeah. I know lots of people connected mm. to it. I know lots about it. And obviously, if you have any interest in music in New Zealand, you know Dunedin's place in that. Mm. But I haven't been there. Mm. 
Oh, look, it's a magic place. Yeah. And, uh, like you had never spent any time there at all. And um, But we were really bloody lucky because we got... We've got Robert Lord Cottage to live in, in Titan Street, right in the middle of Student Party mm. Zone. Uh, luckily, it's got double glazing, and we had earplugs, and the students were hilarious, even the vomiting ones, you know, <laughs> like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing that. And they just walk on laughing and thinking, <laughs> is that when, <laughs> when you're watching students at large on maths like that, and you hear people going, oh, so um, so my son's going to varsity in Otago and he's been accepted for such and such, so we're going to Otago University. And, and then you think, I know what your son's doing there, he's vomiting over a wall. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then getting up and drinking more. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've seen it all. Um, it, it, it was great. But, but it's like, it's a, because it's sort of a bit like Wellington because you've got, it's walkable, mm. you've got this harbour, as well mm. and um, and then you've got all that access to central Otago and you know the mm. rest of Southland mm. as well I ate an extraordinary amount of cheese rolls <laughs> right I've been trying to perfect it ever since failing miserably but um, it was it was beautiful and it's I, I act, having spent six months there I do actually miss it and it's I think if I was going to live anywhere else in New Zealand it'd be there and and People, and maybe it's because my father was Scottish and there's that Scottish past kind of, you know, pull. The, the housing, these beautiful old houses there that so remind me of when we were living in Bristol and, um, and from, you know, from Britain. So it, 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 tug, it tugs a little more at that little part, that little residual part of Pom in me that, mm, mm. that I thought had long gone. But, and the people were great. People were so friendly and... Um, turned out that we knew quite a lot of people down there because people have moved mm. from Wellington actually and, and gone back down there. Mm. Yeah, mm. good place. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got a, I've got a next year that needs to be mm. a, a thing that I do. I, I think know. so. Maybe yeah. I, put, I don't think I could get the children's book writer in residency. <laughs> I don't. We just talked about how hard they are to do. I don't think I'm going to get that on my first shot, am I? So no, you've got to apply at least yeah, three times. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'll, I'll have to think of some other way <laughs> to do some saving. Um, so what do you what do you get into in Wellington when you move back? Well, um, you've got various yeah. things that are keeping you busy, but what are you? What, what's sort of the focus or whatever to begin with in, uh, in the mid nineties? In the, oh, so in the mid nineties, so advertising, more mm. children's books, learning, uh, learning. I say learning media. So it's now left lived education. Anyway, educational illustration for for educational books for school journals, mm. um, and and I start to get into wow. Yeah. Now I want to know about this because uh, I am not. um, I don't. I'm not quite as against WoW as I am Harry Potter. But (laughs) but but I have a similar take on it in that I don't really understand it, but I know it's a phenomenon. Yeah. So and you're you're getting to see this now. But my father-in-law said the other day, he didn't say it to my face, but when I left the house, he said to my wife. Simon is sartorially deplorable. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's one of the nicest things he's probably said about me. But, um, yeah, I just, it's a whole world I don't understand. So go. <laughs> um, I had always loved making 
uh, fancy dress costumes for me and my husband and, you know, me when I was a kid, I was always making stuff and then, you know, what now, what have you. Uh, never been a fashion designer, nothing like that. And, uh, and a friend had actually started in Christchurch the year before we came up to Wellington. Uh, a friend a friend had introduced me to the concept of, wow, we had seen this little mini show at a mall, Miraval Mall, and three of us, uh, Sylvia, Robin and I, and we'd all been to design school, um, we got together and we made a bizarre bra, and it got into show, which was really exciting. Mm. And we came up to Wellington. I had a, didn't do anything for it in that year that we moved up, but in 1997, I did my first solo piece, and it got into show, and that was really exciting. And uh, and then another 24 years later, I'm, I'm still doing it. So I've had 26 entries in show over 24 years. I didn't do a piece this year because we were in Dunedin. And, uh, so you'll do two next year. I'm doing three next year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I was going to make myself late this morning because I'm making a little mini mannequin on a Barbie doll. This is yeah. the process I go through, and yeah. I was really enjoying doing that. I better go. I better get to silence. <laughs> It's going to look amazing, yeah. um, and uh, and it's also in conjunction with a uh, a Christ, uh, sorry a Dunedin artist, formerly Wellington artist Bruce Mahalski, who's mm-hmm. uh, who works with Bone, and we're doing a piece together. But it's also forming a part of the writing that I was doing in in my uh, residency as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a very multi layered thing. Anyway, uh, so I think what I love about it is. What I don't love, I don't love the competition aspect of it. I mm. hate that. I loathe and detest it because it brings out the very worst in me. It brings out the absolute bitch in me. <laughs> it brings out every feeling. Yeah, the anger, the why did they choose that over yeah. mine? Well, <laughs> you know, um, and, it, and that's horrible. Uh, but that's that's anything really, isn't it? When you're up for some sort of award and somebody else gets it. But now, having won the Weta Workshop Award in 2017 for my marvellous piece, mm. The Organ Farmer, uh, I feel I've sort of put that one to rest a little bit, which is great. <laughs> but it took a long time. Uh, and uh, but every when I was at design school, I had a tutor say to me. They'd all be lecturers now. They all have to be lecturers. But um, back then, they were just tutors that smoked in the classroom and drank at morning tea. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, the trouble is with you is that you can't wait, wait, think your way around a 3D space. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, he's right. I really can't. <laughs> but we had these really boring projects to do that just didn't excite me. Now, if it had been a piece of wearable art, I would have been able to do that. And so wearable art is kind of like my training for thinking around a 3D space because, uh, and it's also about story. So it's, it's it, people look at the end result of a piece of wearable art and go, oh, that's an amazing dress made out of 50,000 bottle tops. <laughs> yes. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, that's exactly <laughs> where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. So what they don't get is uh, the story behind it because you don't see that part of it unless mm-hmm. you go to the museum and really look through all of that and mm-hmm. read about it a bit more. But every piece, certainly for every piece I do, it has uh, a much bigger story behind it. Um, the materials aren't necessarily the thing that's that's the important thing for me. It's it's about what what the piece represents, and um, and I do a, a lot of 
working out I do a lot of drawings I do a lot of making a little mini mannequin I do a lot of things before I even start making a thing so um, you know I think if you talk to pretty much all the designers they all start out pretty much that way they've got a um, a, a, a thing that they want to say and they uh, and then create that and you know and having had a break from it for a year it was a bit weird because I went to the show and I didn't have a piece in the show for the first time in years and uh, and then well, it, it felt like a bit of a gate crasher. <laughs> I did, I did, and, and I loved everything that people did, and it was mm, amazing. The show was amazing. Feeling. Yeah, and a little part of me went, "Oh, why even do this? Why do this? Should you stop now?" Uh, and I thought this could be my moment to stop doing, putting myself right, through yeah. this. Except that every time I make something, I learn something. So I've taught myself all kinds of skills that I didn't know before. And that is really useful for other costume and props work that I do get that pays money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind what of like some, I mean, personal training. I know broadly what you're saying, but what are some examples you can say straight out, I had to learn how to do this and I taught myself okay, so in I the process. What's an example? I taught myself how to do some resin work. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I didn't know how to do resin work. Yeah. I taught myself some basics of, uh, of molding, uh, sculpting, molding and casting uh, and I did, hadn't known how to do that. Uh, for the organ farmer I learnt how to make a, uh, using a product co called warbler, so I learnt how to use that to make um, an articulated spine. Mm. Um, and so each time I learn a different thing with some new materials wow. and yeah. I'm going to be making a foray for one of the pieces I'm working on into digital printing uh, on on a particular material. I'm going to try that. Um, yeah. Just, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it just expands my knowledge and, and you always get somebody who's like an accountant or something goes, so I don't know, how much do you win if you win it and how many times have you won and they want to work it out <laughs> per hour and they go, you're making minus $5 an hour at this point. Yeah, And yeah. They, they don't get it because they want to see a re monetary return. But then I just say to them, well, you know that, you know that Hawaii Iron Man thing that you're going on? <laughs> How much does it cost to get to Hawaii? How much do you win? Yeah. Do you win anything? Have you ever won anything? Have you won any money? How much? And how many months of training does it take? And they go, oh. And I go, well, well, this is my creative training. This is yeah. my personal development. Yeah. And uh, I learn something from it. And I love it because I... I will sit in the evenings while binge-watching Netflix or whatever and, and sew and put things together. It only doesn't work when you're watching a movie with subtitles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the plot one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, why, that's what keeps me there the whole time. It's not... It do, the competition doesn't keep me yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the making of. The you're thing. in competition with yourself. In a yes. Way. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. But then when it comes to Whale Week, you're in competition with yes. everybody yeah, else yeah, as yeah. well. But you've articulated really well what it is that keeps people doing creative mm. projects. Is yeah. that you know, I'll, even if we're showing them off in mm. some way, it's for yourself and ultimately, I think. Yeah. And or a big part of it is, yeah. and uh, you know, I've always sort of put it um, bluntly that uh, you know, whatever stops someone 
from putting a bullet in their own brain or anyone else's is is a good thing ultimately. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That, that's really all it comes down to. Yeah. I you know I just it's been a bit strange coming back from the residency post the residency I've come back into a um a space where I've got work to do I've got some things that have been commissioned but I. But I'm um, felt a little bit depressed, honestly. I'm uh, kind of like, ah, oh, I had such a good time down there. Mm, and I felt mm. quite important, mm. and uh, I love feeling important, <laughs> as anybody does. And then come back into this sort of weird sort of space of going, oh, back to the hustle again. Yeah, yeah. Time and to start over. It, time to start over. But just in the last couple of days, I've just started on my wow projects, which are. You know, I mean, I've got other work that I need to be mm, doing, mm. and I have been. But getting but this, this started will stimulate that it too, has, right? it's, I felt in my, I felt really happy. Mm-hmm. I felt absorbed and and not feeling like I needed to have three glasses of wine to get through the evening. Mm. So, um, and that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But you know, <laughs> but but it, it's it's got me sort of back on track again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is nice. But. Now, well, it's that fine line between. Um, dancing around with the folly aspect too mm. long yeah or knowing that that's part of the process and yeah. then you're going to kick start again because yeah. you know i have that with things i do too yeah. and i think some days i think well i'm actually <clears throat> getting through a lot of good stuff and this is well hopefully going to lead somewhere yeah. and even if it doesn't it's useful yeah. and then i have other days where i'm like i need to just chuck the towel in on all of this <laughs> you know i just need to put a blanket over it all yeah We'll do that. Oh, I've yeah. got to go and get a real job. You go, oh, yeah. okay. And then LinkedIn send you all these ridiculous, you know, job so, ideas. I mean, yeah. you're you're almost um, suggesting you've never had a real job, but you have. Mm. have but you? You, haven't you? Or mm. not really? Not you, really. I <laughs> I've had I've had periods of my life where I've had. Um, well, it's, all my work has been freelance or contract. Right. So even when I, like, I worked on The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe yeah. for about three months. Uh, I worked on The Hobbit for about three or four months. But that was all very much, you you know, yeah, yeah. like, it's it's not, while you got paid a that's, regular amount. I was going to say, that's just really make hay while the sun shines, it, isn't yeah. it? In, in, yeah. in a freelance contracting world. It's like, that's a it good is. gig, a yeah. really good gig. Really good gig. I've never had a job where, apart from the residency, where I quite gleefully and joyfully left the house every morning saying, bye, darling, <laughs> uh, hope you have a lovely day, hope, that, hope dinner's ready when I get home. Uh, never was. And, <laughs> and then walked to the teacher's college to my office mm. uh, and had photocopier privileges. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. And, and a salary, uh, even more amazing. I've never had a salary in my life. I've had con- contract work, but... Um, okay, so, yeah. yeah, all right. In that yeah. sense, you haven't, yeah. 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 And, you know, people look at my life and go, oh, I, I have people say to me, I, well, two things. Sometimes they say, isn't it wonderful that your husband supports your hobbies? <laughs> and I want to hit them. And, and, and there's women that have said that. And I go, I, I just, I get so angry I can't even speak. Um, uh, and he doesn't actually, because he's looking for a contract too at the moment. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and the other thing is people go, oh, be lovely I'd love to I'm waiting until I just get to a stage where I can give up my people who are like earning I don't know $150,000 a year doing something or yeah. 
And they go, I'd love to have be a lead a creative life like you. I'd love to be able to do what you do. Yeah. And I just now bluntly tell them, you'd hate it. You'd hate yeah. to be. You'd hate to not be able to plan that trip to Europe next yeah. year. You know, you you'd hate to have that uncertainty about your income, and and it's not even about the income. It's no. it's about the uns because you only you know you're constantly as a creative beset by doubts as to whether you're any good and if you get a bad review for something you just immediately go oh shit I should never do this what you know like they hated my book uh if you don't win something that you put in for oh I'm useless at this I mm. shouldn't have even bothered so you're constantly beset by by doubts and insecurities the you know the mental health of a of a creative is um is precarious yeah yeah mostly yeah. Yeah. well i was thinking about this the other day that for myself i think <clears throat> certainly now and i feel like it's some sort of clunky metaphor for what you're talking about we're basically just sort of putting our ego and our imposter syndrome in the same room and tell, <laughs> telling them to work out some sort of deal yeah. some sort of arrangement you know fight yeah. it out and see who wins yeah. and that's happening daily or hourly yeah. or per project whatever it is that's ultimately the battle that happens. <laughs> it is. I think you've put it beautifully. I think we should get Dylan Horrocks to do a whole strip on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, people have been doing that more and more, that sort yeah. of stuff, haven't they? Like um, creative projects about the burden of creativity. Yeah. And the graphic novel is obviously a great example for that. But yeah. that's coming out more in people's song lyrics, I think, mm. certainly in, story mm. t- in actual printed storytelling. And... And, and you, in things like this, us yeah. talking about it, you know. Well, you could you could say, well, don't be a creative then. And then I go, and people think I'm being dramatic. But I'm not. I'm being really truthful. Well, if I can't do this for my career, well, I'd just rather have it in now. I, my my well, actual is, being. I, this is, is my blunt point about whatever know, keeps people from... From, yeah, you exactly. Because if I had to go... And, and pretend to shuffle bits of paper around and understand what I'm trying to do in some sort of god-awful bureaucratic job um, just to get the money so that I can then go on holiday and go, oh, my God, I'm on holiday and I don't have to be in that place anymore. Thank God for that. Well, what's the point? I, I don't see the point of it. So, um, yeah. I, I, my, my son said one day, he said, so, fee, calls me fee, um, you, when you were a kid, you like reading and writing and drawing and making things, you know, so, you know, uh, writing, drawing and making things, basically. And I said, yeah. And he said, so now you're an adult, you write and draw and make things. And I said, for a living. And I went, yeah. He said, I'd call that a win. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think he's so right. Win. Yeah, totally. You know? and, and it's <clears throat> always a struggle and you're always like, well, it's tricky. I mean, for that thing, or you know, I don't know. My son's only just coming up, about to turn eight, and he said a wee while ago, you know, when I grow up, I just want to be like you. And I was like, man, I've wished for so much more for you than that. <laughs> like, you know, but it's lovely. Like, yeah. but he's had a very charmed start to life mm. that he has uh, someone around always to pick him up from yeah. school and hang out with him and all yeah. of that sort of stuff and he's excited by the fact that records turn up on the doorstep yeah. and you know 
we still sometimes get screener copies of DVDs. He he actually sees some sort of magical value about that. Yeah. But a lot of it's just unwanted shit. <laughs> you know, really, I call them letter bombs. You know, a lot of them, a lot of the letter bombs. You know, that turn up, you don't really want. But but it's but that's the work aspect. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then for me, my my dilemma now is the f- finding a way to get paid through doing it. Yeah, you know, I'm back to sort of doing just about everything for free, in yeah. the hope that it might go somewhere. Yeah, I, you know, over the years, like I've gone from, I've been a freelance creator since I finished design school age twenty. I'm going to be sixty next year, so that's a long time. Over that period of time, my income is actually halved. Mm. Um, doing what I do and I do many more things now than I used to do I once I just did uh you know commercial illustration and that was highly paid so you Mm -mm. know but um I'm not making you know I used to yeah I don't know any creatives who are making more money now than what they did 20 years ago and uh the arts have been devalued hugely um the their way of uh, the the work has changed an awful mm. lot, and I see. I look at young graduates coming out, and I think, what do you, what do you, how are you going to make a living? Oh, and, yeah. and the ones interning for free, and all of that stuff. I don't know. Well, I've always wondered why there isn't a royal commission into how they can keep journalism schools running. Yeah. You know, like that's just churning. That that that's just turning people out into unpaid interns. It's fraudulent. It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. That's my point. And, and the only thing it's doing is giving them a basic skill to go and end up doing comms. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's something in there that that should be looked at. Yeah. And yet, you know, obviously, like anything, there's lots of interchangeable skills mm. about it, and it's there's some personal mm. development, and I've met a few young journalists that have just graduated, and there's good things about what they're doing, and they're positive about where they're going to go and do things, but. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how it can sustain mm. itself. And I, I had this moment where it was about maybe five years ago now. I used to get the odd sort of go and have a, you know, do a guest lecture and stuff at things. And the journalism school invited me down to talk about all the different ways you could create a career for yourself as a freelancer. And then they paid me in a $50 petrol voucher. <laughs> and I was like, I'm fu- I'm. I'm fucking done because you, that's actively selling the lie. It's basically, yeah. here's today's expert. He's going to get, you know, their words. He's going to give you tips on how you can make money and a little bit of a reality check around how it's quite tricky. And to hammer that fucking point home, we're going to pay him nothing and just give him this freebie that we begged for from someone. It's and I was like, you know, I'm not angry with them, but I was angry at myself. I was like, yeah. and I was like, no more. Like, yeah. I don't need to go and... Yeah. You know, um, I don't feel important doing that stuff. It's I f- used to feel like it was quite a nice service to be involved in mm. to share a story. Well, I'd rather just do this now. What we're doing, this yeah. is this is sharing a story, yeah, and uh, or stories, and yeah, I just but that was a like a kind of angry eureka <laughs> moment for me. You know, I'm like I'm fucking done with this. Like <laughs> you know, you could have paid me fifty dollars, which yeah. is nothing, and that would have felt like something. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, and obviously, I have a car, so a fifty-dollar petrol voucher is actually some form of currency. But it's just not, you know, doesn't line up. Yeah, yeah, yeah doesn't line up. Yeah. So when do you go on Good Morning? 
Are you there from the start? And, oh, when, when right, do you... When, when I went on Good Morning. Oh, yeah. so... Uh, I mean, you're a regular on Good Morning. I was. Look, I just loved that. Bugger it moved and, to Auckland and now it's no longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I got that through... Uh, a researcher, just temporarily forgotten my name, that's age, um, got in touch with me to, and she'd been working at, uh, at RNZ, and she had, uh, so she knew me from there because I'd gone and done an yeah. interview about WOW yeah. or something. And then she rang me up and said, would you like to come in on this show and show people how to make a little something related to WOW again. So, mm, mm. so I went on there, and it would have been a while since I'd been on TV, so it was, you know, been a good 10 years or more since I'd been on on What Now. And uh, so I watched it played back, uh, you know, and uh, recorded and what have you, and uh, I thought, oh, gosh, I'm a little bit older, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as young and groovy as I was, but... Um, and and the, they rang up and said, oh, that went really, really well. So do you want to come on and do it regularly? And and I went, you know, and next week. And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a bit older now. And I, you know, I just, you know, all of that. Yeah. And they said, well, pay you. It's a paying gig. And I go, right, when do I start? Yeah. And I, was like, I don't care. You know, yeah. They've got a great makeup department. So, yeah. um, so that was every every week yeah, yeah it was just fantastic great team really enjoyed yeah, it yeah it was a fun little bunch it out there because we were on around the same time like i think i started that in 2005 Five. yeah be about the and, same for me and i was there until they moved yeah, it to auckland so too. i think we we're the exact same yeah. running time so most of that was with sarah and brendan yes and yeah. um and you know I, I talk i've talked to both of them for the separately for the podcast and recently in the last year yeah. and it was quite nice yeah. you know remembering some of the fun and crazy stuff that went on on that show. I think there should was, be a reunion. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. there's been some... I think Brendan was pretty keen on that. Yeah, there's yeah. Been Sarah's sort of, been saying something about yeah, it too. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just great. I really enjoyed it. And in fact, I enjoyed it more, I think, than what now, but they were quite different beasts. Mm. Um, but, yeah, really supportive... Um, you know, group of people and but you were funny in your segments too I mean as, as you are as I'm finding out more now as a person but and you had that great moment that was immortalised on Newsboys show the fake fart the fake fart <laughs> Which doesn't reflect badly on you either way anyway. Like you're just a you're a pawn in his game. It, it reflected badly on Brendan, right? I know, and I felt so sorry for Brendan because he did never fart, and people still go, oh, at that time that Brendan farted. You can you can dial it up on YouTube and, and see it, and the views just keep going up and up, and it's just this funny little <laughs> fictitious piece of... <laughs> So you're you're implicated in that. Oh, you're there for all to see. Oh, look, it was it was funny. It was great, but you know, and Brendan was such a sweetheart yeah. to work with, and and we had this thing, you know, the the Brendan test because he's quite you know basketball, a sports boy, you know, it's like mm. quite ham fisted. So yes, if yeah. Brendan could do it, anybody could, and I used to pencil little things on there so he, not that the camera could see it, so that mm. he had something to cut around. And one day, oh, it's right. like, have you drawn an outline on there for me to go? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was, I mean, there's there's nothing better than, as you said, going out, going, sitting in the makeup chair, getting your hair, yeah. probably not so much for you, Simon, but, yeah. you know, oh, no, your, your hair and makeup done, go to in front of camera, do your bit, everybody says that was great, you go home, invoice them and they pay you. They I would mean, look at my hair and say, 
you are follicularly deplorable. But <laughs> they, you know, I did enjoy being in a makeup chair. The the weirdness of it, yeah. like I was like, oh, okay, so this is a new thing in yeah. my life. This is interesting. And the people that did the makeup were always nice with a good chat and. My, my greatest moment was meeting meeting Michael Palin in the green room. Yeah, like, I met oh, Ben Elton. I oh, met Ben Elton and Muhammad, Muhammad Ali's daughter and all sorts Didn't of... Didn't meet that porn star, though. There was a no, porn star uh, who came oh, really? Candy or something. And, okay. uh, and no, apparently all the guys offered to mic her up and then she just ripped off her, her corset because they were having trouble putting the mic up underneath the corset. She just unleashed the, the babies. <laughs> <laughs> The girls and yeah. uh, and the young guy who was putting the mic on mm. her just was suddenly all flustered and one of the older ones took over. I my my <laughs> thing um, that I nearly I, I really feel like I was close to getting canned on the sh- off the show in the first year I think was that they used to still pre-record some of the segments yeah. and they got me out there to pre-record a couple and they were like this is going to run next week we'll just do two in a row and this will run next week and. There was, uh, you know, the fashion segment with with Sally Ann. Yeah. And then they had some woman from Australia who was proud of how much plastic surgery she'd had. (laughs) And she was, I don't know, 60-something, 65, and she was like, I look 40. Yeah. And she didn't, (laughs) but that's fine, whatever. But that was her thing. She'd had X number of surgeries, and she was talking about how it can be really good for you. She was an advocate for it. And... um, I was there and they started the thing and I said, well, I'm in, in the toughest spot in the show. I'm in between some... You've, you've put me in between some frocks and a hard face. <laughs> and... I just, you know, just riffing. I just, just came to me and this stupid voice in my head said, say it, say it. That's quite funny. And I said it and it was basically like needle scratch, right? Stop, stop, let's reset. And this sort of... One of the people came over, the floor manager came over and said, oh, you know, you can't say that and then I, the producer talked to me afterwards and was like don't 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 say things like that <laughs> and so we reshot it and uh, yeah I was thinking oh, I was going to get an email you know like hey thanks for how yeah. many weeks you've done but no thanks but I stayed on but I was like oh okay <laughs> so that was my faux pas <laughs> I don't think I did anything particularly um, embarrassing on here Apart from being on air, you know, I don't yeah. think I fucked anything up hugely. No. But there were some fun things that did happen you'd watch. I mean, the only other thing I can remember was being mortified that they'd play some of the songs underneath as I was talking about them. And I can remember playing a new Nick Cave album and they chose the wrong track. Oh. And as it was playing, I was like, oh no, I could hear it. And I was like, he's just about to yell out, um, let all you motherfuckers burn or something. And so I I was concentrating on the spaces and trying to time when I could talk over top of him <laughs> saying and so probably it was fine, yeah. but I remember being really fucking nervous about that. And going, you know, it wasn't my mistake, someone else had picked the wrong song, but yeah, there were think little moments like that that you could watch for. Yeah, though too. It yeah. was good. It was good fun. I think there was only one bit where I um, where, where I was on with Brendan and I made this little autumn leaf fairy, and and then I just like we were making this thing and I said, oh look, and there's the fairy lying, you know, because he was holding it some way, and I just said, oh she's lying down with the legs in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, for children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
and I kind of tried to cover that up. Yeah. And uh, we had both had a snigger about it, but anyway. But, yeah. But mostly it went really well. And and all my practice on um, doing stuff, you know, that, that old, uh, what is it, muscle memory kicked in from doing stuff on what now. So mm-hmm. I ended up being fine with doing things live on uh, Good Morning. Plus, of course, I took stand-up comedy lessons quite a while ago as well. So when I came to Wellington and I, I'd done... Because I used to do this little poem in Next magazine, this monthly poem. Mm. Um, poem and illustration, kind of quite pam witty sort of stuff. Yeah. And that was a regular gig for, like, eight years. For eight years, I was um, the most highly paid poet in New Zealand. Poetry <laughs> 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 pays nothing. Yeah. And oh, I think was, Bill Manheim might have still been at that point uh, a bit more than Well, you, possibly. But, and he, but he was doing a bit more work, like yeah, work, work. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah. he wouldn't have called my work poetry. <laughs> <laughs> you were coming at it from Double, different angles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, we put it together in a little book, and I, uh, and I thought it'd be good to maybe speak the poetry out loud you mm. know? and and I didn't have any training in that and uh, so and then I ended up doing some stand-up comedy lessons with Caroline Welkin um, and which ended up being so much fun and then I did my first gig one I can't even remember what bar now but uh, with Fergus Aitken was the MC and um, and it was just so much fun making people laugh. And so I, I got you stuck the, into doing... When you did the gig, was it poetry-based? No, or you not really. Just I did, think I might or you have, just did some comedy material? I just did some comedy just, material. Yeah. Caroline, uh, Caroline um, showed us how to put a set together yeah. and how to know when you're boring the pants off somebody, how to deal with hecklers, how to use a microphone, all of that sort, mm, of, sort mm. of stuff. It was invaluable. And... Um, and I did it, you know, you can only do three minutes as a as, mm. as raw meat, um, maximum. And it was great. And and then I did a whole load more and I had ones that absolutely bombed and I wasn't funny at all. Um, what did that feel like? Oh, terrible. <laughs> but it's good practice. Mm. And, and then you can go, why didn't that work? And, like, we did, a, we did a week in the Comedy Fest at BATS and we called ourselves R30, stand-up comedy for those who'd rather have a nice lie down. And because uh, we, <laughs> we were all older comedians mm. um, and so we thought it'd be, uh, mostly women, and so we thought it'd be fun instead of these young guys talking about shagging, mm. you know, mm-hmm. constantly. So, and the differences between men and women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, one night it would be like, Everybody would laugh. The next night, you'd barely get a titter from anybody. So, I don't know. Some nights you're on, some nights you're not. And But it was good practice because I do quite a lot of presenting work. Mm. I've done, mm. I do talks to all sorts of things. I do a lot of visits to schools. So, mm. I do with the Writers and Schools Scheme through Read NZ, which formerly the New Zealand Book Council. And so I go and do um, that. That forms another part of my income. Well, you're you're here directly today because you did a talk recently that my wife was at, and she came oh. home and said, "Do you know, you know, do you know Fifi Colson?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do. Yeah." And she said, "You should podcast her." And I was like, I- "I'd always been thinking, <laughs> of, I'd always been thinking yeah. about it, but I just have this kind of rambling list in my head, and people was that for the Sarah Lily Fund? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I yeah. So, about wow. Yeah, yeah. So Katie was there, and she said you should talk to her. Like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, great, cool. So it was literally the day after that I messaged you and was right. like, let's get this happening. Ah. So she brought you right back into yeah. my mind. Yeah. 
So I knew you did that. I was gonna I was gonna mention that, but now there we go. So yeah, yeah so you're doing I do a lot of talks and presentations mm. and I um and I love it. I you mm. know, I love an audience. Mm. <laughs> mm. Put a microphone in front of me and I'd like we'll be here for hours. Um but uh yeah, I really enjoy it and that Sarah Lilly fund was fantastic. Mm. Um it's such a great uh um yeah, it sounded, it sounded amazing. Yeah. Wow. And and it was really, and Gisela Clark uh, came and talked from WOW as well, and that was amazing too. So we got quite, the audience got quite a different feel. So I talked from my views as a WOW designer and yeah. the um, nuttiness that makes us do it, basically. Yeah. So, um, and because it was an adult audience, uh, I could, I could, be a little bit more naughty with my references about things. Yeah, um, it's fine, whereas... <laughs> fine dimensions lying on your back with the legs. In the <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you're talking to a group of school children, you're going to be saying different things. You're not yeah. going to be talking like that, and you're certainly not going to be swearing. So um, yes, so no, it's good. I love, I love that. Yeah, and, and I like, I like telling people, anybody who will listen, why I do. Why I why I'm compelled to do the things I do. Well, this you know, yeah. and we, we're doing that a lot in this, yeah. and that's what's great. Like it, and that's what's cool about what you do is mm. that it is important to to for people to have an idea. Because mm. that when you were talking about um, the accountant sort of saying, you know, how much do you make from that, you know, I was thinking about like um, last. Two years ago at the Arts Festival, mm. I went and saw this incredible piece of kind of multimedia theatre called Home, mm. and they built a home on stage at the Opera House, and like it started with a blank stage, and they built a framework and built a home and the set. They could move around a two-story house, and it involved a live musician and singing, and, and on paper, it's the sort of thing I would run a mile from. Mm. Frankly, I'd go, "Oh God, this is," but something about it well in fact I knew who the musician was that was playing and I wanted to go and see him so that really was what sold me on it mm. and as soon as I got there I was like wow this is amazing watching it it was incredible they eventually bring people up from the audience whisper things into their ears and get them integrated into the and the stage is just bursting with people and it's just this I thought you know completely inspiring take mm. on what it is to make make something anything mm. to make art like mm. and how we can all you know and and bu building not just a home on stage but a village yeah and the woman next to me when it finished and everyone clapped she shouted out quite loudly stop clapping or they'll come back oh, really? <laughs> and i was kind of blown away by that i was sort of like i mean you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion yeah. and all of that, but, you know, you didn't have to like it. How but disrespectful. Just unreal. And so yeah. I guess what I'm getting to is we're all facing some version of that battle yeah. when we put things out into the world because, yeah. you know, and you mentioned before, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you talked about bombing on stage, but way before that you talked about the ego taking a blow with a bad review and mm. making you want to not. Mm. And, and how often have you experienced that directly? Um, like have you been reviewed poorly? Oh yes, I've I've had. You know, you've obviously had manuscripts rejected, which is a form oh, of a bad review, but that's it is, different. Totally. Yeah. Um, oh, you know things like um, oh, I had a review on a book that I illustrated where I hadn't got my historical details right, and and it was true, I hadn't. Uh, so, but that felt terrible because that's what the reviewer con concentrated yeah, on. Yeah, there was a yeah. uniform detail or something. So yeah. now. 
I, you know, if I have to illustrate something involving World War One or World War Two uniforms, I'm going to make sure I've done my research properly. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that stuff helps you. But people, you know, like looking at one of my books that I've done, Wearable Wonders, which is about wearable arts. So it's it's uh, a book for eight to twelve year olds, essentially on doing wearable art. I I like I never go on Goodreads yeah. because people are just full of shit on Goodreads. I don't even know why people bother with it, but. But occasionally, I'll, you know, I went on there one time and I saw somebody had reviewed Wearable Wonders, which, by the way, sells really well into schools. Kids, schools use it as a, yeah. as a learning yeah. tool and what have you. What have you made um, from it? $17, $25, what? Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sells really, really well. I earn $200 a year. Um, and, um, and somebody had said, oh, you know, I couldn't see anything in that that was useful to me. <laughs> And it was reviewed by, like, some 50-year-old woman. I was thinking, well, you're not my target market, yeah, yeah, to yeah. be honest, you know. Yeah. So um, putting... Did you Google and Google her and find that she had written a sort of com- vaguely competing oh, title? Oh, she probably had. Or a, has you know, plans to? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I always feel like following these people and trying to follow them home and stalk <laughs> them and have them up and go, yeah. how dare you? Poke them in the back as they're putting their keys in the door. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like, like um, you know, the... Um, the Frank the Crayfish mm. Uh, mm. debacle that went on. Well, I made the costume, you see. Mm. So I made the Frank the Crayfish costume. So I followed all the social media quite avidly on that. And uh, so if anybody wants a mascot suit made, I'm your gal. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and I thought it was hilarious. People were, and I made the mistake of going on to Neighbourly. Well, there was a whole thread on it on Neighbourly, and Neighbourly is a funny old website. Anyway, and... And uh, and somebody somebody had been saying, oh well, uh, you know, it's not even a, you know, it's got, it, you know, it looks more like a lobster, blah blah blah, and went on about the intricacies <laughs> of a crayfish. So I, I thought, well, excuse me, I have done my research on yeah. crayfish. I did a lot to get make it right. So I went back on and said, well, actually, I did the costume, and crayfish do have pincers. They're not as big as the lobster claws. So I went back with a whole load of <laughs> facts. Facts. And, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, and a few people had sort of said, I think it's outrageous that we paid this much money. And I was going, I, uh, excuse me, I did the costume. You pay an awful lot more. They got a very good deal. So um, <laughs> I, I can't help myself sometimes. Yeah. And I know you should never engage, but sometimes I really feel like engaging with the trolls. But you can lose weeks like that. So it's Well, I think, yeah, it's, I, I sort of think, like, if someone's quest- if someone's putting out into the world misinformation that yes. you're that you're yeah, misinforming yeah. people that's the ultimate red rag to the yeah. bow isn't it for anyone like like when you said you know because it, it hurt like get it, someone picking up on the incorrect detail and yeah. being correct that hurts but as yeah. you say you do learn from yeah. that and i you know i know i've had that like if i have a, if i write a review or a piece of writing or whatever that people read and say that was mean or whatever, big deal, I don't really care about that. But if they point out you actually got this wrong, this didn't happen, this is not the producer of the record or whatever, I mean, I'm probably not going to get that wrong because that's, you know, easy to work out. But whatever, you feel like a real dick when you do actually get... And that has happened to me. But then when people try to argue you've got this wrong... And they've got it wrong. Yeah. But as you say, it's just, it's an embarrassing wormhole to fall down where yeah. we're all just fucking yelling at each other. Yeah, and it's crazy. I have drawn six fingers on a hand before. That Not on purpose. <laughs> Not on purpose. It was picked up before it went to what, what, what was What was the good show you were watching on Netflix that <laughs> night? <Yeah. laughs> oh, 
the yeah. final, final episode of Breaking Bad or oh, something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Golly, I just loved that so much. It was great. Um, you know, and um, and I have to say Netflix, Netflix um, you know, we've been very good now. We do actually subscribe to channels and pay money because we're not pirate baying anymore. But, uh, you know, <laughs> just want to say I'm, I'm an honest sister, sort of. Yeah. And so, and what, 2014 or so, you do a screenwriting course? You do the MA? Oh, yeah. You're another, uh, I mean... Um, it was earlier than that. Was it? It was 2000. We went off to, so we took the kids to Bristol to live for a couple of years. Yeah. To ex- use our British passports. Yeah, before. And yeah. Um, terrify them in British schooling. I think that was yeah. useful. I think it did. And uh, and then we came back. Uh, and did you work over there? Yeah. Kind of? Or? Oh, well, once again, I thought, oh, I'll settle back into England really well because I am a palm, you know, kind of thing, even though I was a child mm. when I came out. And, you know, and as it turned out, my husband had never been to England. He he got a job in an ad agency in Bath. <laughs> loved it. Our daughter pretty much loved it. Son hated it. And I hated it. I was so homesick. And I... I couldn't get a job. It was I was like, here I am again, and I still can't get a fucking job in you know in anything. And worse was, I I thought, well, I'll just go and show my portfolio to people. Mm. I'll get I'll get freelance work, and uh, nobody wanted to see my portfolio. You had to go through agents, and it was just not easy. And I went, oh no, that oh that's right. There's how many million people here all competing for the same work. So. Um, I ended up, um, I, I did volunteer work over there at the um, at the Bristol Old Vic. In fact, I refused to leave until they gave me some work because they said the volunteer list was full. And I said, well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I've come all the way from New Zealand. Mm. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, I did I did stuff over there. I ended up, by the time we were coming back, I, w- I had ended up getting some good freelance work and creating teams of people together and, you know, and it, was, it was great. But then we came back. But I applied for um, the screenwriting course of the Institute of Modern Letters, the Masters, mm, mm. before I left. And I, I, I was originally looking for a writer's residency and I thought, oh, because I got my first novel accepted for publication and... Uh, and then uh, I thought then I was a novelist <laughs> I thought I should get a writer's residency and this thing had not, not even actually gone to print at this stage, it mm. was a junior fiction novel so, you know, it was no witty Myra at all so, um, anyway I was looking on their website uh, at their writing residence realised I wasn't really up for <laughs> for that but I saw the master's course and decided to apply and and for some reason, I'm not sure why, but I decided that it'd be really interesting to apply for the screenwriting, scriptwriting masters, and uh, and I did, and I got in, and you know that that uh, most exciting things that have happened in your entire career: one, getting into Wellington Polytech; two, getting a, a, a same feeling, getting mm. into the scriptwriting course, because we were coming back to New Zealand once again, had no idea what we were going to do when we came back. Uh, Adrian would have to find work. And a, you know, an advertising or marketing or something, I would have to do. And I'd already decided I did not want to do any more commercial illustration work. Two reasons: one, it was, it was just, um, it was getting harder to mm. get the work, and I, I did not have any Photoshop skills, and everybody was getting all mapped up, and and I didn't have that. Uh, so I could barely use a PC for just word processing. So I didn't know how to do that, and I didn't want to learn. 
I have learnt since, yeah. by the way, and I'm really good at Photoshop, but uh, it's taken over from airbrushing for me. But um, so I got into the course and I spent a year um, just like, um, you know, what going you... to theatre, going to films and writing. What did you submit? That's right. I submitted a... Uh, did you just write? Like, no, I ha- you had to submit a yeah. piece of writing. Yeah. So I did a short film, and I got mentored by a woman in Bristol who had also done a master's in script writing. So she told me when my piece was ready enough. She made me go back and rewrite and rewrite. And who was taking the course? Was it Ken? Ken Duncan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I saw him the other night at the Pink Hammer. Oh yeah. And um, and that was just great. Uh, Ken was fantastic. I really enjoyed. Him being our supervisor, he's just such a nice guy. And, uh, yeah, so there was ten of us, a tight ten, and um, and we all, Larray Parry was on our course too, and, uh, and it was, yeah, it was really good. It was a year of being a student and indulging myself in, mm. in all of that. And in amongst that, I ended up, because you had to go and do work experience as well, so the choices were Shortland Street, so I got back into watching Shortland Street for a while and became addicted just to get, you know, familiar yeah, with the yeah. characters. Haven't watched it since. But, uh, or, and then I went and talked to Martin Bainton, who was Pukeko Pictures, uh, out at Weta. Hmm. And, uh, and he said, oh, come and, come and intern for us for your work experience. So I worked on Jane and the Dragon there. Uh, and then that led into me looking for work at the workshop as well and going and working on The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And, you know, when you say like working that. on The Lion, what were you doing? Like um, des- costume designing or oh. illustrating or...? Oh, it sounds so exciting, doesn't it? Working on The Lion, the Witch yeah. and the Wardrobe and everybody went, oh my God, it's so exciting. What will you be drawing and designing? Well, obviously uh, a lion, a witch and a wardrobe. Or the... Need drawing. Could I, could I say how public, how, how many children are listening to this? Children oh, might be listening oh, to Oh, great. It. So we used to call it the cat that comes in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. no children are listening to it anymore. Right, I know, I know. Take that C word out. Um, which, and which one? <laughs> the cat, of course. Uh, um, uh, yeah, no, the first job I got to do on that was to wash an iron 20 metres of calico. And then I got stuck behind an industrial sewing machine. So I was just, a, just you're on the production line. Yeah. Shit money. Terrible money. $15 an hour. However, I met some great people and formed a nice... Really that much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say... Yeah, I know. I was going to say, as outraged as I'm trying to be, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm just thinking it is it actually is shit pay for what it's connected to. Um, but I dream of fifteen dollars an hour. You know, and even just one hour yeah. a day. Yeah. It, bringing fifteen dollars in yeah. a day would be pretty good for me right now. <laughs> it was it was more on the hobbit. But I can't sew, so yeah. Oh no, well see, there's your problem. Mm. Um I got to rivet armour. You could have riveted armour, you'd have been fine at that. Really? Yeah, yeah. What? It, it requires require sort of blunt force and no technique. Yeah, is that absolutely. What you're well, no, you learn the technique and then you <laughs> right. just re- and then you do it seventy thousand times. Yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. But anyway, I, I, um, uh, Richard Taylor has always been great to me ever since, and and um, possibly embarrassed about the fifteen dollars an hour. I don't know, <laughs> but, but no, 
sorry, Richard, if you listen. Um, uh, no, he's he's been a real support to me, and and sends freelance work my way, like making puppets and things like that for stuff they don't want to do in the workshop because it's one-off stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, so I got in the doors, which I really wanted to do. I've had this bucket list of things. I mean, I really want to work on a film. Uh, I've been an extra on Mortal Engines. I really wanted to be an extra. Um, I, I did get asked in, in the street one day when I was walking along if I wanted to audition to be a hobbit. When the, when the Lord of the Rings, my kids were with me and they just laughed. I, in fact, it was a tall woman with a clipboard said to me, excuse me, she came up to me and I thought she was like trying to sign me up for yeah. Greenpeace or something like that. You know, I was like, oh, I already do that. And, and, then, and then she'll say, it's, how tall are you? <laughs> what? I'm five foot one, why? Would you like to audition to be a hobbit? My kids just went, ha, 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 ha. That's, you know, anyway. I did go for the audition. So. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course. I met very tall people coming, coming down the other way who were auditioning to be elves. So, um, yeah, so I don't know where we were going with that, but yeah, I got oh the script writing, script and, writing. The, and the and the line the which yeah the the line <laughs> in the cupboard yeah and the <laughs> um, yeah so um, I don't know all these things I find all these things interconnect really I mean being being a, well, as as you know being a creative is all about the networks and relationships that you make and well, don't, um, don't rub it in at why I'm failing <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sorry. I didn't invite you around here to shit on me. I'm Sorry, full, you're I'm, doing it all wrong. I'm fully Sorry. aware of what's going on, you know, <laughs> why it's not working. Well, you know, there's a lesson. What are the takings from that? So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so you, uh, I try not to piss people off, but, but inevitably you fail because you mm. always will because there'll be somebody that you don't get on with that you don't like the way they work. Um, well, people's rage twitch is here trigger yeah, now too. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're manufacturing outrage at, yeah. at an alarming rate. Oh, man, you know? is that... Yeah. Yes. So uh, the, well, the real... Willfully offended. Yeah, yeah so the yeah. real noise that should happen about really bad stuff is happening, mm. but it's getting lost inside the phoning noise that doesn't need to be happening about the stuff yeah, that doesn't yeah. actually matter. Yeah, and meanwhile... But try telling anyone that their problem doesn't matter. You yes, know, if, if, know. if they believe yeah. it to be a legitimate problem and you try and point out it isn't, that's just another insult on top of the insult they're feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people um, will take to, and I'm as bad as it is anybody, as take to social media to express their outrage rather than just going and having a conversation with the person in, yeah. involved so um or, or going and having a walk in the park or yeah, a coffee or a beer or yeah. you know whatever your poison is uh, yeah i've actually downloaded a meditation app <laughs> i never thought i'd do that in my life but you know just to calm the noise mm, actually because mm. um i'm finding that i'm uh you know and i'm addicted to my phone it's not there i reached for the co oh, coffee and phone <laughs> And um, and go on, and I I get angry about stuff, and I can't stop myself because I'm a talker. I can't stop myself from saying something. So people will message me and go, and they know full well when they message me about something, I'll go onto social media and say what they want to say, but they're too scared to say it. <laughs> and then I get all the backlash from people, and then I find I have to you know make make all my posts, delete posts, or make them all more private or yeah. what have you. Yeah. And so I never um, uh, in my Facebook. I never let people you know i get friend requests all the time uh and then from people who have seen me at a talk 
or something. And they mm. and I changed my name on Facebook mm. to look for it in Dunedin. I was Scarfy Colston, you know, <laughs> or I'll go. I'll call myself Fee Coolston or, or, or yeah. something different. And because I just want them to go to my public page, where yeah. it's all about the art. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So uh, just anybody listening, if you want to friend me on Facebook, don't. <laughs> Contact, because, contact me through the official channels. Yes, if, official channels. If you're, unless, pay, if you're paying you wanna, more than fifteen dollars yeah, an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 also, you know, like, uh, you know, nobody needs to know Fifi Colston, the Fifi Colston, the puppet maker, the illustrator, what have you. You don't need to know my politics. Mm. You know, uh, and I prefer to keep my own bubble of po- politics. So um, in my personal page of people who agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it is a really fascinating conundrum. This because like I I'm a, I'm a um, a busy poster on Facebook and I like mm. to share a bunch of different things, mm. and I don't feel that I should have to put a little caption no. saying that I'm for or against things. Yeah. I might find the story well written about an awful thing. Yeah, or I might think it's a bunch of bunk all up and I'm kind of sharing it to see what other people want to say now I don't know if that makes me someone might decide that's a version of trolling I don't know how they could (laughs) but I'm sure they have but the other week I got taken to task for obviously coming out in support of something because I shared an article without saying anything Uh, and I was actually very against it but I kind of don't like the lecture aspect of sharing a thing and telling people what to think about it I feel like we should be open-minded about things and you yeah. know and and apply our own kind of personality and reading to a to a to a thing before we decide because yeah. we're, we're sort of like falling into this trap of not realizing that we're all influencing each other's mm-hmm. thought processes by mm-hmm. people thinking they know because we're all living in, in, in an avatar land in mm-hmm. a sense you're not re- you're not really you on facebook even though you are as natural on Facebook as you are right now with mm. me, but you're still playing a version of yourself. I, and, oh, and, totally. and sometimes yeah. you're, uh, you know, yeah. when I say you, I mean anyone, yeah. but sometimes you're playing it up yeah. even more and sometimes you're yeah. being about as honest as you can be, but it's still yeah. like a, a, a little... It's simil- Yeah, it's curated. It's totally yeah, and it's a, a yeah. little a little version of mm. yourself. Yeah, it is. It's uh, And that's fun, Yeah, but people are getting suspicious of if they're being misled yeah people want their hands held through Mm. it i you know on my private facebook page i like to tell everybody exactly what i think and that they should agree with me so (laughs) (laughs) and if they don't agree with me then when we get into arguments but it's fine because they're always they're all my friends and so we all agree to disagree but but um uh yeah but i wouldn't take those arguments to to my public page because I yes. am aware that um, you know my audience for my art all have different different opinions and views and I don't I don't want to uh, offend people and um, but there's a little, little part of me goes oh, I'd love to be majorly offensive some people are they are <laughs> able to just be out there and go say what say what, how you really think whether it's right or wrongly but just saying what they think are they all called Danny Mulheron or <laughs> is it, or is he just one of the <laughs> <laughs> I you know, sometimes think, oh, you know, people knew what I really thought. Oh, you know, he's uh, fantastic. He's fantastic <laughs> on Facebook. He just he disappears for months on end, and then he just comes back with a you know giant slam dunk. Oh, <laughs> with the bazookas all going Yeah, blazing. totally. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to go and 
Yeah. yeah. And oh, it's a funny thing. And I can't get into a Twitter. I found that I have a big following on Facebook, both personally and and publicly, which suits me because I love to be taken notice of. Um, on Twitter, I can barely raise a, you know, <laughs> a, a, I'm only a follower on Twitter and I hate being a follower. So I, don't, I, I check into Twitter maybe once every few days. You're, so I don't follow it. I just you, the, the ego stroking that you enjoy. Yeah. Was that always there, or is that directly a product of putting stuff out into space? Like, can you think back and go, oh, I was a little bit of a sort of a, a whatever, a show-off and attention seeker as a kid? Oh, I've always been that. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, I, I was... The the word that I was new to me when I reached New Zealand that I had never heard of was the word skite. Mm. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, you're just a skite. And I thought a skite was something to do with a kite. Mm. And I, I was thinking... Does that mean that I'm flying high in the sky? But um, which is sort of another version of it. <laughs> it is really, yeah. So a sky—it's a very yeah. antipodean word, I think. Um, but yeah, I guess I've—I've I've always wanted to be noticed, and I don't know—is that because it's the youngest child syndrome? You know, you've got—you've got to fight for your place a bit, and then you always want to be noticed. But also, you're loved unconditionally because your parents have been through so much with the others that they can't be bothered, their will to fight is well worn down by the time you come along, so you have a pretty easy ride, I think. Mm. Um, but I, I, yes, I've always, I've always liked to be noticed. It's kind of why I, I got into the, the punk scene, you know, back in the late 70s, because yes, of the clothes and the wearing, music that's, and the... That's wearing your feelings. Yeah. Or, whatever, or the, again, a yeah. version of your feelings, yeah. an exaggerated... I, and I was only in it for the clothes, really, for yeah. the look, because um, yeah. I thought that was very cool. Um, you know, I, I used to, I started smoking at 15, gave up at 21, sort of. And, and <laughs> I, you know, as much as people do give up, you know, I don't, yeah. haven't had a cigarette for years now, but, but you know, sort of, you know, took up smoking for the look. Well, if you, you, know, if you want one, if you want one, Sean Plunkett left his here the other day. <laughs> <laughs> look, I think if I tried smoking now, I think my lungs would just actually end up on the floor. I don't think I could do it anymore. <laughs> I, I would love to. Yeah, I'm the know. same. I'm the yeah. same. I can't. Um, just, I haven't no. smoked for getting towards 20 years, and I no. never will. But no. And I'm pretty decent around smokers, I like to think. I don't care. Again, like... Yeah. You know, I know it's bad, but if people are going to do it, I'm not the one that's going to lecture them. Well, me neither. But if I stand around a smoker for a long time, I wake up the next morning just got actually feeling it yeah. on myself in yeah. a way that I didn't don't think I used to notice. Oh, it's kind of, you know, like you used to go to parties or out at the pub and things, and the next morning your clothes would be this stinky pile on the floor, and you'd sm- everything, you know, like... I don't know how smokers think that they don't smell of smoke mm. because you, you can't not. No. But, um, yeah. So, no, I don't smoke anymore. But I did get a tattoo. Oh, I was Dunedin. Dun, dun oh, recently? Yeah, yeah, Yes. So I'm very proud of that because um, I've had years thinking about getting a tattoo. Yeah. And, uh, and what, was, what was it like? Uh, what, in terms of pain? Yeah, whole process. Oh, like, well, pain part, is a part, part of it. Part of it was I really wanted to find out what it felt like. Yeah. My daughter's got... Uh, I say my, our daughter's got quite a lot of tattoos from the um, kind of, you know, elbow up. Yeah. And um, and I've never, I've always been fascinated by tattoos. I met this amazing tattoo artist down there, Veronica Grace Brett um, in Dunedin. She's just 
genius. She's so good. And I thought, if anybody was going to do a tattoo on me, it would be her. And I ended up doing my own design. And it's all to do with the work that I was working on down there. And it's an ampersand. Mm. And so it's a pencil that ends up looking like stitching. Because people go, what do you do? And I go, well, I'm a writer and I'm an artist and I'm a and I'm a and you know mm. and so the ampersand comes in really we're still well. getting to the end of it now <laughs> yeah I know I know it's kind of oh, everybody's gone to sleep they've gone to <laughs> have several glasses of wine and 14 coffees but um but yeah so I finally made up my mind to get it done and I actually drew it on my other arm with my right hand to see how where, where I liked it and I thought very carefully about the placement of it so it's on my forearm Having me having said to my daughter, don't get anything done below the the elbow crease. Uh, so I've done mine just below the elbow yeah, crease. Yeah, mum you know. knows best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also now I can never be judgmental of anybody with a tattoo ever in my life again. So um, just just in case that ever sneaks in, you know, that little seed of yeah. conservatism. And um, so I. Um, I thought carefully about where it needed to go. I didn't want to get it on my upper arm because of bingo wings, you know. Uh, I don't want yeah. one sliding down my my arm. And um, and I also wanted it where people could see it because what's the point of getting a tattoo if I can't see it and if other people can't see it? Yeah. So um, if you're going to get a secret tattoo, why bother getting one? I don't know. That was my rationale. Everybody yeah. has their own reasons. And uh, and then so I was worried about, sort of worried about the pain, but I've had two children, so really, I mean, what could mm-hmm. be worse? Uh, childbirth or what was, a tattoo. What, what, what was the comparison? There? Um, like... Oh, no, definitely that I would have 50 million tattoos rather than have another baby. So <laughs> having another baby at my age would be something of a modern miracle that I don't want anyway. But um, And it, it just felt like, um, uh, oh, it was just a little sort of buzzy thing. There was a bit of, um, uh, she put a, she free-handed it pretty much. I mean, she did a little bit of a, a, a transfer on it. Um, and I do admit to taking a painkiller before I went. Actually, I took a tramadol. Mm. <laughs> I carefully hoard a tramadol from when I had a back pain or something sometime. And uh, somebody said, oh, well, you'll never notice. You'll be off your tits if you don't. <laughs> I don't think I was like, my tits but um certainly i did i it didn't hurt and yeah. it just felt like a nice um itch uh, yeah. scratching an itch sort of thing and um and i but i had funny dreams about it afterwards i dreamt that um that you know it would only show up if i rubbed it really hard you know and then yeah. it would show like a magic thing or that i went swimming and it all disappeared except for a tiny little trace of something or so it's taken a wee while to and every so often i look at it and think You've really got a tattoo. Yeah. Did you want your shock your mother that much? It's eighty eight. Have a heart condition. But um, but anyway. I, Did you find yourself me. critiquing the work? Um, my own work. Well. You well, know. that and when it, when it was being applied, um, the the work of yes. the tattooist and 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 the realization of your design. Well, yes, a little bit. I'm still very happy with the design. She did it slightly differently, the stitching, but that was her kind of mark on it. And yeah. um and yeah and. And I, I sort of think, well, if I get sick of it, I'll just t- pull my sleeve down. <laughs> yeah, out of, <laughs> out of sight. Yeah. And, uh, and pe- but people are funny. People are... Your, hus- your husband? 
Oh, see, he's never been. He was. He's always been like, oh, because I played a practical joke on him years ago about getting a tattoo. I put a fake one on and made, mm. made it look like a freshly done tattoo, and he was a little bit horrified by that. But he was more horrified because I did put it on my bum, <laughs> and uh, and he was more horrified by the idea that I might have been lying in a tattoo parlor with a hundred people, you know, with lots of bikers yeah. all sitting around watching me get a tattoo on my bum. That was more <laughs> his, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where his mind went. Yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. And I was like, how can you? Even He's having a private booth, you know. Um, Anyway, so he's never been that keen on tattoos, would never get him one one himself. Uh, 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 My daughter's all for it. She's, like, awesome. Um, And uh, and our son, who hasn't got any tattoos and has, you know, terrified of needles as well. So, and he said something along the lines of, well, you just know people who get tattoos are bad, don't you? And I'm thinking, oh, it says you. Um, And there's a lot of things that he does that wouldn't be past is great but, <laughs> but but tattoos you know anyway but i think it's hilarious yeah i think it's funny that i've got one at my age and, and um, will you get another now do you think um because well, you're, yeah, no, you're looking imagine, you're looking at the other not, arm i was going to yeah. say you've got the obvious yeah. the obvious thing to do is you know meet this one and meet this yeah. one you know no i think that's it yeah. i think that's one and one. done yeah and um and you know i know people get tattoos People get tattoos for all different reasons, mm. and this was uh, a well-thought-out tattoo, and it's taken me years to mm. get to having it. Um, and I'm really glad I didn't, didn't put Tweety Bird or something on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that would expand to Big Bird if my arm got bigger, you know, <laughs> fatter, <and> draped, <laughs> drooping, drooping as I'm older. I mean, looking at my mother's, my elderly mother's forearms and looking at the wrinkles and just imagining how much this is going to change, but... It's it's a little part of me now, so um, I still surprise myself, and I and I notice now that um, I just get a little, almost a little, an imperceptible nod and a smile from baristas now. Oh, yeah, cool, <laughs> cool, I, cool. If person. I hand over my money with what? my tattoo on my arm. yeah, like yeah. they should basically like the kin, uh, kinship. I'm surprised at cafes they haven't worked out a way to embed a chip into tattoos that you get your tenth coffee free. You know, you just that's a great idea because it's paperless. I love that idea. You know? I'm waiting for the chip so I don't have to remember all the umpteen, <laughs> you, know, you know. I mean, Facebook, Google owns me anyway. Why not mm. just get the chip and be done with it? Mm. Yeah, I'm coming around to that sort of way yeah. of thinking now too. Anything that means I don't have to remember mm. anything for myself anymore. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who wants to look at what I'm looking at, fucking, yeah. you're actually more weird than me. So good fucking luck to you. That's well, as a writer... From the writing point of view, I tell you what, any writer will go, oh, God, if you look mm. at my Google history, mm. you know, you, you'd lock mess. me up. Yeah. Because you're always looking for yeah. uh, how to kill a dog. That's yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at a dog now. But, uh, <laughs> he's he's, no, quite, he's no. nearly dead today. He's, he's very quiet today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have we not, I mean... What have we not covered? What have we not covered, roughly, in this enormous burst of creativity that has sustained itself and you and your family for 40-ish oh, years. years. What um, do we need to speak to that we haven't yet? I, I reckon we've done quite well. I think we've done quite well. My writing is coming along. Yeah. Uh, I've written another, as I said, I've yeah, written another novel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm working on a sort of a... The thing that I went down to Dunedin for was was a kind of a graphic novel. That's going to be working in progress for quite a long period mm-hmm. of time. That's that's a slow bite one in many ways. The uh, the junior fiction novel I've written 
is is uh, came in a big rush just at the end of my residency. So, um, and I, yeah, so I'm just kind of tweaking the last things on it now. But, um, and um, yeah, so the, I, I enjoy the writing. I've got ideas for wearable art. But every year I have no idea what's going to happen the next year. So I'm at the, every creative I know pretty much either write, well, lot in the writing world as well we're at that it's at the stage of year where you're applying October is the year where you're uh the month Mm. that you're applying for grants and residencies and you've got to do it and you know with your heart and sinking that you probably won't get any of them but if you don't put out at least 10 applications you're not going to get anything so Mm. um you might get one back or you might get none back at one stage I got so many creative New Zealand um, refusals for grants you know turning down those that I thought about making them all um, into a Tracy Emmons style quilt you know Mm. like all those rejection letters printing them on fabric stitching them together and calling it I don't know, fuck you, Creative New Zealand or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But I can't say that anymore because I, uh, I have had the residency in Dunedin, which yeah. was partially funded by them. So thank which, you, which, Creative New Zealand. I do love you. Which you nearly got the name of it right too when you were... I nearly, I nearly <laughs> you got, got, you got You got the, key, the keyword searches. <laughs> you got... Really long, the longest <laughs> title. Other people had things like the... Uh, the Francis Hodgkins mm. Fellowship. I got the... <laughs> <laughs> Have another go. <laughs> the, the, the very, very long one. So, but it was great. And I, 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 I kept all my job application rejection letters like 20 years ago. I kept them and put them on the wall of a flat. <laughs> and I had they went all down the entrance hall. And there were fucking heaps of them. <laughs> and I was sort of going to do some sort of thing with it. And then yeah. I went, this is actually weird negative yeah. energy and one day I just took them all down and put them in the in the skip or whatever it's what I did with all my yeah. creative New Zealand rejections and all because these were all this the was back, for novels this is back yeah. when you would get a, an envelope yeah. in the mail yeah. right now you're just going to get an email, email or a phone call but yeah. back then I was actually getting letters yeah. to, and some of them were um I think a couple of them were like probably um for a creative writing course or something as well but it was mostly actual yeah. jobs but yeah. there was probably a funding thing or two in there yeah. yeah well I went through my my folder of rejections including all the things that I you know manuscripts that have been sent back to me and and things and did the same thing and I thought why am I keeping all of this this is just to reinforce that I'm shit yeah. at something and I'm not I'm not yeah. actually shit at things these things it's just that they didn't pick me that time so um so and and you have to bear in mind every time you apply for these things there's hundreds of other people applying too and it's you know I don't know it's like trying to decide who's going to be the winner for wearable art all oh, the stuff's amazing mm. uh who do you how do you decide so yeah, I sort of find of it stuff. I find an interesting like I've I've actually applied for one creative New Zealand grant ever mm. Oh, you're not even trying. <laughs> I, know, I know. I was just thinking that when you yeah. said that, but but that's because I've sort of, it's sort of like been a keep your powder dry kind of yeah. situation because I haven't had a particular reason to. Mm. Last year I applied and and got it. Oh, fantastic! So I'm I, I'm sort of like now am I one and done or do I you know? Yeah, like, no. Because, sorry, you've had your allocation. <laughs> it, it feels a bit like that, yeah. but what I I sort of feel a little bit like like I fulfilled the obligations of of it was a you know one of those quick release ones and it was a sort of for a re- research aspect mm. of a project rather than completing a full yeah. project. So I've reported back to them and I've yeah. done my work and I've mm. got 
some work towards something. But now I feel an insane amount of pressure to complete that work, and even though I've fulfilled the obligations of the grant, and I'm not getting that work completed, and I wonder if I would feel that way if I had just paid for it myself. And you know, it's, I, I feel like in a weird way, it hasn't alleviated any yeah. pressure off me. It's actually applied some. Yeah, there is. Look, I know, I know people who have who have applied for and received Creative New Zealand grants, and they've never completed them. Oh, I know. I don't feel like any so, sort of. I don't feel like yeah. any sort of fraud because yeah. I know that, and I I remember. Um, Getting Call it in, acknowledgement money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember getting. I, I remember getting in shit with uh, New Zealand on air for calling them out for the stuff that they were constantly rewarding and how and Jane Wrightson wanted to meet me mm. and when she took me for a coffee to basically see why I'd written a couple of things about them, she I said to her, you know, you've given James Reid. $50,000 towards an album that hasn't turned up and you gave it to him years ago and she was like who's he and I was like <laughs> I was like if I've given you know if I'm in charge yeah. of an organisation yeah. that's given someone 50 grand yeah I should know who they are yeah like now his album eventually came out and it was fucking dog turd <laughs> too so like there's that but that's that's an irrelevant part of that story you know it was just like well it's interesting so I feel like it's yeah. a lottery you know well the, the residency that I got there was no actual obligation to like you applied with a mm. with a project so mm. I had a well thought out project that was that that I applied for with uh, which I as I said that's one that's work in progress it'll be a long you know it'll be a wee while coming and then nobody will want to publish it anyway but mm. you know um, it, it's it, it's a nice work in progress for me but there was no because um, people thought oh, it said oh do you have to deliver a manuscript at the end of it and I said well no and I talked to other past recipients who said no, this is this is your reward for all those years that you've put in, the failures and the, yeah, the totally. uh, hardship that you've gone through. This is this is acknowledgement of what, who you are in the world and what contribution you're making with your work. And it, look, it took me a long time to get my head around that. I I got down there and I measure uh, like I've got a strong work ethic when I've got work on, and I'm like, no, I need to I need to deliver. Mm. And so I was busy working all the time and researching, and um, it, where in reality, uh, if I wanted to, nobody would have, nobody would have blinked an eye if I'd if sat and just, read novels yeah. for, for six months, sure. calling it research, but. Yeah. It, I was aware that it was public money yeah. and that I had a supportive group of people there at the College of Education to, um, who wanted to support me in, in creating a new piece of work. That's all, what it was all about. And in the end, I not only created... I created about four new pieces of work. So I was actually on fire down mm. there, mm. which was good, and I feel good about that because I feel like I can say I actually did something, you know. But you know, it's weird that thing about um, when you were saying about that it's a, an acknowledgement mm. that you exist in a vo- and sort of various parts of what you've done. It's like, isn't it weird, like you mentioned, you know, getting the detail right on, say, an army uniform mm. or whatever and going away and researching that or like the crayfish mm. costume. And, um, you know, so you're $15 an hour or you're 200 bucks a year or whatever it is you're mm. getting paid it actually is going towards all of that stuff, which is mm. the thing no one ever sees. So when yeah. if you if you 
if I commissioned you to draw me a picture of a leaf and mm. you say, I'll do that for you for 300 bucks, mm. and someone comes around here and goes, I could draw a leaf for less than 300 bucks, but I've chosen you and your story mm. is, and your story and whatever got you to do that creation is part of that creation, and mm. that's and that's what we're kind of paying for. Yeah. Whatever the figure is, yeah. and you can never, you can never, you yeah. can never ever make it the right number. Yeah. yeah, ever. I find pricing work is the hardest thing. I could never be a fine artist. Yeah. It would, it would How do you do that? Do yeah. my head in, uh, and whenever I've tried to, and I've, whenever I, I've had a few exhibitions. I got into painting on velvet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't painting on velvet, stags on mountains and things like that. But but they're actually bugs and beetles and what have you. Mm. And I've just done one of a bobtail squid for um, the Museum of Natural Mystery in Dunedin, which is Bruce Marhalski that I'm doing mm. some wow work with, uh, potentially. No, we are. We are doing it, Bruce. Bruce, we're doing this. And um, anyway, so that... But uh, putting a price on it, so hard. because, mm. And I've found that... Like, sometimes I've gifted a piece of my artwork to somebody and then I've never seen it again in their house. Wow. Or it's in the loo or something and I think... <laughs> Have you seen it on Trade Me? That's going to no, be the worst. No. That's got to be the absolute oh, worst. And, and I've, gu- I've given you a new thing to do when you're up at my oh, house. <laughs> Scroll my, through Trade Me looking for your... Oh my, oh, it's Imagine it. So demoralising. Imagine it. So peop, I never give artwork as yeah. gifts anymore. Um, I'll give a blank canvas and say, I'll draw something that you want on it. But people don't know what to do with it. And if they haven't paid over the odds for it, they don't value it. So, uh, and, you know, when there was a Christchurch earthquake, which was just so hideous, and I, I had quite a few artist friends putting artworks up on Trade Me to... to uh, give the proceeds to mm. the to the um, the funds, the rebuild funds, and and I wrote a blog post on why I was not going to do that because you know artwork on Trade Me is there's just a, a plethora of everything from tolerably good to to indescribably indescribably awful yeah. therapy art, you know, yeah, uh, uh, or or the. Um, uh, yeah, you know, cafe art. Yeah, a lot of generic beach yeah, house and yeah, cafe art. Kind of, yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it goes for so little. Nobody yeah. values it. No. And uh, well, so the, the um, very nature of it is they're there for a bargain. Yeah, and what difference is the $20 that you sold your beautiful piece of artwork for going to make difference to the Christchurch rebuild? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I so. bought one piece of art on Trade Me, that, that James Robinson one up there. Oh, which I thought was a good buy yeah. and a good score, and I like yeah. it. It's a crazy piece. Yeah. And then the guy sent, and then we were really stoked with it. And then the guy sent me an email saying, "You got a really good, you actually got yeah. a really good buy, and um, I'm going to courier it up to you. And uh, you know, thanks heaps. It's uh, unfortunately our marriage broke up, and you know that's why we're oh, selling it. And no. Katie was like, Katie was like, I really oh. wish you hadn't told me yeah. that. I want to know the. I really wish yeah. I kind of like that backstory. I mean, yeah. it's it's just I, yeah. I I think about that when I look at that now. Oh, yeah. You, how can you not? Some history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I uh, but I that was very much a one and done for me. I've never really looked at art on Trade Me ever since. Yeah. You know, because it's yeah. just I think that's the best 
yeah. outcome like that's yeah. actually a good piece that I was interested in yeah you should only ever buy art if you like if you really oh like totally it. prices yeah, I, always, it's hard to say to people yeah. that price is irrelevant yeah. but it really is I have this brilliant ongoing battle with my dad my dad's really proud of these two pieces of art that he bought that I think are fucking dreadful <laughs> and I always tell him that and um, and the reason he's stoked is he basically talked the artist into selling him two for the price of one and I was like that's the very epitome of what art is not about yeah, you yeah. you didn't get a bargain yeah. you you uh, you made a laughing stock of yourself yeah. in terms of what you're interested with that because yeah. you you bought you bought crap because you thought you got a bargain yeah and yeah. uh i don't even know I'd, I'd name and shame the artist if i knew who it was it's not <laughs> i'm not trying to protect i can't remember it's not anyone significant but you know the other answer to that obviously is i'm being a dick and it's, it's <laughs> uh, he likes it and that's what art's about that's exactly it but yeah. you shouldn't buy on price no which it's, is a hard thing yeah. to say because yeah. people who want to put art on their walls and have no money yeah. have no option yeah although i did spend all my provisional tax money on a on a piece of art one time <laughs> i had it sitting in my account i'm really good i put it away and put it away i'm not going to touch that not going to touch that went and saw an exhibition uh by miranda woollett and uh saw this piece of artwork that i literally couldn't walk away from it was so yeah. beautiful and i bought it and uh and then i felt terrible that i'd bought it because I'd spent all my provisional tax money on it, and I hid it at a friend's place for two days, thinking I can't, you know. And then I thought, well, this is just ridiculous. I'll just, I'll just own come it. Come clean. And you know, and people come into the house and go, "That's a beautiful painting." And I yeah. get, I have so much, so much pleasure. I, now I have to say, with my provisional tax money, I am an artist, so it wasn't a huge amount of money. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars here, yeah. like you might be if you were a lawyer or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. But um, for me, in my world, it was you know good, you know two and a half grand. And yeah, yeah. It was um, yeah, and I love it. I I have never regretted one dollar that I spent on it. I thought, after those first two days. Yeah, still, yeah. After those first two <laughs> days, going, how am I going to pay my provisional tax bill now? But you know, some things were more important. I did pay the bill. <laughs> it's yeah, these this that's an eerily familiar conversation, you know, like a thing that swirls in my head. I have that that impulse yeah. mechanism of yeah. being broke, but yeah. wanting to have something when you see that? it, and deciding mm. that the value of it in your life is and ha- and owning it and having it. Not 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 so much the the ownership more than the the being having access to it yeah. really is what it is it about is um is actually ultimately more important yeah. and it makes no fiscal sense no. but fiscal sense is pretty fucking boring and uh, and and largely irrelevant to, yeah. to freelance creators <laughs> uh, is that right it is I, you know yeah because i'm i'm not um i'm kind of quite mean with my money mostly because it just never ever seems Necessity. to be enough yeah. it, you know yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know for something like a painting that gives you a huge amount of pleasure um, that like that ongoing pleasure in my life is so it's 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 there constantly and uh, the, the ongoing pleasure of playing my provisional tax bill is just not <laughs> <laughs> not quite in quite the same way yeah that's a great yeah. title for an art work the ongoing <laughs> pleasure of paying my, my provisional, provisional tax, tax bill. bill there you go go away and make me something based on that <laughs> um oh, 
we've had, we've had yeah. a great chat. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, good. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it too. Shall so. we le- shall we leave it there? I think we shall. Okay. Yeah, the dog's gone to sleep.